Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to Spotcast, Season 6, Episode 3. My name is Timitra. I am in Toronto, Ontario. I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kulai in Mississauga, Ontario. Hey there, kids. And we also have Hyman Lippis Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? All righty. So going well. So a uh, bit of a fact check where we start off here. Um, yeah, we were talking about letter or sorry, justwatched.com and, and where I had found about that. I, I, I knew it was somebody told me about it. I thought it was one of you guys, but it was a former colleague of mine named Jason Chu, who's another cinephile who told me about it. I went back and found the original reference to that um, website. And now, of course, it's Nap, as I was mentioning last week. And then... Um, the other bit of fact check is Rick, uh, Rick Sarabia reached out to me. Um, on Sorry, is that Messenger. Rick Sarabia? No, it's Rick S- Sarabia, yes. Thank you. <laughs> um, good catch, boy. It's a good thing you're on the show. Anyway, he's, yeah, so he was telling me that he was trying to figure out what uh, what show he was on. He was on um, Enterprise as well. Uh, we, uh, this is the fact check for tonight. He was on Enterprise uh season two episode 10 the vanishing point or vanishing point that's the episode where hoshi is like a ghost and nobody can see her oh yeah i remember that one right yeah yeah and and so he's one of the two aliens that are messing with the the ship um and uh yeah so and and it's funny because you know i went it went into the imdb and the, there's a picture of the two aliens messing with the ship and he's not credited so i updated his uh his uh imdb page you're welcome rick um but uh, he gave me gave me a whole bunch of background stuff. Like uh, that was twenty years ago that he was on Enterprise. It was November. Oh, I don't have the date on here. Um, but um, he was on Enterprise twenty years ago. He was on Babylon Five as well. 
Um, he's about to come out in the Mayans MC, which he's playing a recurring character on that, I think. And he's, he says here he's doing ADR. I don't know if it, when he was talking about the um, subtitles, when they go in to do the voiceover stuff, it's called ADR. I forget what it stands for, but it, it basically means that's the part where they reread their lines so because the, the mics don't pick them up correctly um, for clarity. And he's also on a show called Dave, which is on FX, I think, in the States, he said. Hmm. He, currently, he currently lives in, in uh, I think he lives in L.A. right now. Um, and even more, he's on uh, a show called The Chosen, which is about, I think it's Life of Christ. Oh, it's based on a comic book. Yeah, I haven't seen that. That's, yeah, I love the comic. I haven't, I haven't seen the show. That's an old Mark yeah, Miller so he, comic. So he's in season two, episode eight, and season three, episode four. Oh, cool. He, play, he plays an elder, um, a Jewish elder. Hmm. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so he, he said he wasn't allowed, he had to wear pink contacts in the, in the Star Trek episode. He wasn't allowed to keep the contacts. They were part of the property of Paramount. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're going to be up for auction at some point for large amounts of money. Yeah, well, yeah, true. I have a link here as well for the IMDb video of D. Bradley Baker t- being interviewed about his his role or his voices on the uh, the Bad Batch. And uh, Jennifer Corbett is the name of the person I couldn't remember last week. She's the executive, one of the executive producers and writer, I think. And uh, she she's the one who described him as a one man show, basically, where he, uh, he she's watched him do his reads and he just. Uh, rattles it off and just switches from one character to the other he he explains in that video if you're interested the the different characters that he he portrays like you know um drawing a blank wrecker and all those kind of guys and what you know wrecker's deal is and why he's the way he is kind of thing and that's i guess that's how he keeps all the sort of different people in his head to to um to voice them and uh, a little bit of fact check on the last of us you guys were talking about last week i don't know if you guys knew but i had to do a warp core i had to dump the warp core last week uh, so I had to leave the show, and uh, um, you guys were talking about The Last of Us after I left, and the, the, we were, you were questioning about the, the whole of the role of the Marauders and stuff like that in the in the in the in the episode. But they're very much a big part in the game because, as well as trying to go through from one part of the country to the other, they run in the Ellie and Joel and all the other people run into uh, the infected, but they also run into. Um, gangs of marauders who run around with rifles and guns and hammers and and throughout the game there's these like you know each sort of section of the game is like a huge battle with these guys and of course obviously i mean it's not really entertaining tv i guess to have those things like you know the shootout where joe was up in the joe was up in the tower tower and he was using the sniper rifle to protect ellie and the and the two brothers yeah that would that would have been like a major battle kind of thing right yep but there are there were multiple things like that. Like when they got to the when they got to the hospital after they run into the Reese's monkeys, um, or sorry, at the university, they they have another battle with a bunch of marauders, which of course wasn't in the show as well. There's only like you said four, right? But there was like in the game, just like thirty of them. It's crazy, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I guess some things so, don't don't translate. It would get a little tedious if you had Joel just endlessly killing people for fifteen minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's yeah. It's like I said. It's it just becomes like the Walking Dead, which after a while, it's just. I mean, that's why the Walking Dead gets tiring, in my opinion, is because yeah, unless you're into watching the way they, you know, dispatch the infected, it's like it gets boring after a while, right? Um, and I've got another part of this to talk about, but I'll I'll wait until uh, we get into the actual this week's episode because it's more about this week's episode. And I did look it up. A troop of rhesus monkeys or a troop of monkeys was the troop. answer to the question. What do you call them? Yeah, not a pack, as I so, yeah. had mistakenly remembered. 
Yeah, well, I think it depends on the type of animals in terms of what they call them. But yeah, generally, generally speaking, monkeys are a troop. I don't know what a, like a group of uh, chimpanzees or or um, uh, gorillas would be, right? But uh, but if for those particular type of monkeys, it would be a troop. Rhesus monkeys are the ones they do research on in in science. Yeah, because they're genetically close to humans. Are they? Is that why? Yeah, yeah. They that that's why they they there are particular animals that they choose because of their similarities in genetic traits to human beings that way they'll be able to test more successfully oh, right. yeah yeah and it's and i think uh, monobos are closest to us in in terms of um like the relationships right yeah i can't remember what what all they were i, I do remember being fascinated by that when i was uh Bonobos, yeah, a young Bonobos, yeah. Boy. yeah all right and so we'll head over to the headlands and jonathan's up with some some relatively sad news for this episode or for this podcast <laughs> Well, for for a show that was founded uh, around the relaunch of Star Trek, uh, yeah, this is kind of bittersweet. So, uh, kind of a little out of left field, but also not really uh, so that surprising. We got news today that Star Trek Discovery is going to be ending with its fifth season next year, 2024. Uh, this was uh, put out across all of the Star Trek channels, all the socials, all that kind of stuff today. Again, not a huge surprise, you know, uh, I think sort of had this feeling that, you know, maybe it had sort of played its, you know, self out a little bit, you know, they, they'd kind of gone from this, you know, well, we're, we either were a prequel, they had had this whole adventure, they'd gone into the far-flung future, and the future was all messed up, and now things are starting to sort of stabilize in that far-flung future. I'm sure they could have kept it going, but... I think it's probably better to try and end on a high. Hopefully they will. Uh, how, how are you guys feeling having, having uh, started a podcast six years ago around uh, <laughs> Star Trek Discovery and now coming to the end? Yeah, it's sort of what well, we talked about Enterprise a few minutes ago. And, and I, I was really looking forward to Enterprise when it came out. And I think the first couple of years, I was pretty pleased with the stories. And I think I, I sort of talked about in the past about how it paralleled with the um, was Desert Storm was around the time of Desert Storm, and all of a sudden they had to have this war with Zindi, and and I think that was sort of I think that sort I mean I guess maybe because the maybe the show wasn't as exciting as they as people would have expected because I, I was sort of more of like the old school Star Trek fan you know like like from the original series kind of thing where it's more about science and a bit more episodic um, than say like you know Next Generation or, or Voyager or or um, Deep Space Nine are right, um, and because those ones always sort of seem to run for seven years. Wasn't the original The Next Generation was a seven year contract, and same thing with the other the other shows, right? But Enterprise, all you know, I think what after three seasons they canceled it, three or four seasons, four, yeah, wasn't yeah four seasons, yeah, and and you know we were expecting to have a, a seven year run. So um, I guess what I'm saying is I think in a lot of ways I'm prepared for disappointment when it comes to star trek <laughs> you know i mean the original one was only on for three years right so it's my uh so i'm i'm surprised not surprised but but and again i think honestly um the last couple of years of, of um discovery has been a, a bit a little i mean odd not not kind of you know i guess it's all star trek like i said like you said i said last time time but uh i think it, it's it's wasn't quite as good as like let's say and and if we hadn't had discovery we wouldn't wouldn't have got strange new worlds either right so um so there was some good that came out of it even though it was you know like the character of spock and and um the new spock i should say and uh you know pike and 
number one, right? What do you think, Jaime? Yeah, I think five years is probably, five seasons is probably good for Discovery. I don't think, uh, you know, the kind of serialized nature that we have for these stories necessarily needs the syndicated seven years kind of thing that was kind of a standard for broadcast. And I also think that it's, um, you know, maybe slightly easier to let something like Discovery go because we're not waiting for the next series. Uh, it's not like, oh, well, what's going to happen next year? It's like, hey, we, we got more right now, <laughs> right? Um, we're, you know, we're blessed with so many Star Trek series that, um, you know, I think as we've said before, like if there's a series that somebody doesn't like, uh, well, that's okay. You just skip that one and, and get the next one and see if that one's for you. So, it, uh, you know, pour one out for Discovery when it uh, when it finishes and kind of did its job to kickstart the whole uh, then CBS All Access streaming channel, which is now Paramount Plus, and as uh, you mentioned, you know, birthed so many other series like Strange New Worlds that came about because of Discovery proving that we, and, you know, turning to the, the metaphorical camera here, we as Star Trek fans all here listening and watching and everything, we've, uh, we've shown that we're, we're, we're pretty loyal and you put out some good Trek and, and we'll watch it. The other side too is that we don't. I mean, we don't talk about it often on this show, but um, that the I think Voyager was was part of the UPN network. Like, wasn't the UPN and yep. Voyager kind of started at the same time? And and so UPN was kind of trying to take on you know the NBCs and the ABCs and the, and um, I guess Comedy Network was out back then too, right? Um, and sort of becoming and I guess Sci Fi Channel as well. So many Sci Fi Channel came afterwards, but and it was sort of like if you listen to this, if you look into the sort of lore of of Star Trek, you know, the UPN wasn't very successful, right? Um, but that said, I mean, like again, maybe it was too early for its time, and Paramount Plus and Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus and you know Prime are kind of like the sort of new, you know, again, building on the the world that Netflix created, right? Um, but I think people are more willing to to invest in things like that, right? So, I mean, if like it would, I think it would be the death of Paramount if it was only a Star Trek network kind of thing, you know? Yeah, I, I uh, it'll be interesting to see what they do next. I think that's where my mind immediately went when I saw this news. You know, so we talked about how Paramount's kind of been doing it the right way in kind of falling into it a little sideways because you know they don't certainly get the kind of press we get for Disney TV, uh, Disney Plus or Apple TV or Netflix, but they've been quietly keeping Jaime Lopez's money in their pockets month after month after month for the last few years. And that's not an easy feat. And they've been doing it by producing, you know, some pretty good content. You know, Jaime, I mean, you've, you've watched stuff, uh, you know, on Paramount Plus that we don't get up here unless we have a Paramount Plus subscription now, like Halo and other things. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they, it was built on this foundation of, of Star Trek and, and starting with Discovery. It'll be interesting because we know, you know, they're touting this Picard season, which we're going to talk about later in this episode, as the final season. Now we know we're getting the final season of Discovery. You know, we're down to what? We've got Strange New Worlds as the only live action Star Trek left that we know of and on top of that we've got the two animated series in prodigy and uh, lower decks i wonder if this is going to be measured at some point by a new announcement new 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 content coming or are they going to shift back to doing movies uh, are we going to be entering you know back into a little little 
little less Trek. I mean, you know, having five series running concurrently, I mean, obviously they're not on at the exact same time, but it's it's been kind of luxurious as a Trek fan. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Oh, everything's, the next one's me, isn't it? Yep. Um, yeah, so this is, it's kind of timely um, in a sense. I saw this one, uh, stumbled across this last week. I saw this back, this this uh, hip pouch or hip, what do you call these things? Um, you know, the, the purse you wear on your hip, right? Fanny pack? Uh, which, sorry, <laughs> fanny pack. Thank you. That's what I'm looking for, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I sort of stopped and I, I stumbled across it and I thought, oh, I'm going to check this out. So A24 auctions, which I think we've talked about before, is doing... Uh, or they were doing at the time we uh, looked at this uh, an auction of the props from everything everywhere all at once. Um, so, for instance, like one of the rocks with the googly eyes on it. The, the I think the 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 prize would have been the auditor of the month trophy. Um, if you haven't seen the movie, you'll you won't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it plays a central <laughs> role. And you know, and Wayman's fanny pack that sold for uh, the final bid was forty eight thousand for for his uh, fanny pack. The auditor of the month got sixty thousand dollars US for wow. I know. And then I think the the hot dog fingers are here somewhere. So it's funny, Evelyn Bluetooth headset. I actually have one of these uh, Motorola um, uh, headsets that uh, she was wearing in the the show. They only got $6,000 for them, though, but pretty sure I saw, yeah, um, hot dog fingers, hot dog finger gloves, 36 bucks or available. So you can buy them, I guess. Huh. It's part of the merch, right? But yeah, these these are the Wang family pictures as well. even the wheelchair, cool, yeah. Oh, and Wayman's Wayman's chapstick sold for five thousand dollars. Oh, the one he eats. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, eh? That's cool. a fun thing. Yeah. So that's that's kind of a that's what's from what's the, the uh, one thing you'd want? What's the one thing if you could have anything from everything everywhere? What's the one thing you'd want? Well, like I said, I think the auditor of the month's trophy was probably you know that that's the, oh, uh, I remember. Like, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of interesting, but I think that's probably that's probably oh, of course you get the raccoonie as well. Oh, Rakakuni, uh, yeah. <laughs> Rakakuni, yeah. Yeah, I think the one thing the funniest thing is is probably the uh the order of the month or they also have the the head scanner thing that she puts on it well as well, the headset. Yeah. Um I mean I as far as googly eyes, I mean I've got upstairs, you know, Quinn has googly eyes that she plays with all <laughs> so we have lots of things in our house covered in googly eyes, right? So Yeah. What about the two rocks? Oh, the two rocks together, you mean? Like yeah, that would be yeah. kinda cool. Yeah, like yeah. you put them on a mantelpiece, like those are the rocks. Well, this is this is one of the rocks that sold for thirteen thousand dollars, right? Holy moly! Yeah, yeah. Rock versus rock. <laughs> I don't know what happened to the other one. Yeah, it'd be, but I guess you could tell by looking at the rock with the scars on it that it's actually the same rock too. Holy moly is correct. That is the correct response. Yeah, we missed, we missed that, folks. Sorry about that. Over to Jaime for the next piece. Yeah, this one is probably a sign of things to come when it goes with each of these competing streaming services and how good are your lawyers to write the contracts. So apparently Warner Bros. Discovery, which is the parent company of HBO Max, had paid for the rights to stream South Park content. Uh, And it is claimed here in a lawsuit that um, the South Park creators sort of went around uh, the the contract or found a a loophole, you know, that's alleged here, and created what's effectively new South Park episodes on Paramount Plus. And uh, Paramount Plus will apparently get all of the, the episodes for uh, you know streaming of South Park uh, in the nearest future. And I'm, I'm not a lawyer. I do not know these contracts. I don't know how they were written. 
my take from watching um, the the South Park post COVID, post COVID, the return of COVID, and the streaming wars part one and part two. Um, as this article here mentions, like uh, apparently Paramount Plus and South Park Studios are saying, well, those are quote unquote events or movies or films. And when I watch them as a sort of casual viewer, I'm like, they don't really feel like events. It feels like you sort of duct taped a few episodes together. Um, and they're not really, uh, you know, changing the stakes or radically changing the show in any way, the way that, uh, like South Park, bigger, longer uncut did back in the nineties. So, yeah. Um, yeah. again, not a lawyer, don't know how these are written. Um, don't really have skin in the game other than to say like, you know, it's, I think better when these things are sorted out a little bit. And this is kind of a uh, frontier, uh, new frontier for people to try to figure out, you know, how do I get as much money as possible? Whether you're HBO, Paramount Plus, or the South Park folks. It's frustrating because there's still a deal here in Canada for South Park to be aired on Much, which is a channel that used to be known as Much Music up here. It's sort of an MTV equivalent. And... So the new season that is airing currently on, I assume, Comedy Central in the States? I don't even know. Is it all exclusive to Paramount, or is it on Comedy Central in the States? It's, it's airing here, but in the exact same way, they're, the only way to watch those interstitial movies, quote-unquote movies, is to go to Paramount+, Plus, or you can buy them off of the iTunes store, because I did look, because I was like, oh, I wonder if those are available. But uh, I'm just double-checking now, but I th- believe they were prohibitively expensive. Like, they were like 15 bucks for like an hour. And I thought, that's not a good deal. Like, they're not... It's not like you're buying a season. It's not like you're buying a, a feature-length movie. You're kind of getting these tweeners, and they were... Yeah, they were expensive. So they weren't included with the Paramount subscription. Yeah, fifteen bucks Canadian is the cost. They're they're included if you have a Paramount Plus subscription, but there's no streaming service showing them in Canada except for Paramount Plus. So if you want to watch them here, you either have to get a subscription to Paramount Plus or you have to buy them off oh, of a streaming service. A, uh, like a much. They're not a they're much. Not a, oh, they're not a much. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah, so I'm just looking, yeah, 59 minutes. 59 minutes for the one. This one's an hour two. There's four of them. Uh, this one is 48 minutes. 48 minutes! They're calling it a movie. Wow, and you can't even like buy them on Apple TV Plus? You can buy, them on, you can buy them on Apple, Apple iTunes Store iTunes? or whatever it's oh, okay. called now. The, I don't know, what do they even call it now? Yeah, still the iTunes Store. You can, you can still buy them on the iTunes Store, but they're 15 bucks a piece. So you get 46 minutes oh, for 15 bucks. I see. Oh, I see what you mean. You, you, it's not like you can buy a pers- per- Paramount Plus subscription to watch. You, you can. Because okay. Paramount Plus is available here. So, But those are the only two ways you can do it. Oh, it's not through terrestrial cable like it has been in the past up here. Everything South Park for the last number of years, for probably a decade, has been available through much. But now they've got this right. exclusive content that you can only get if you have Paramount Plus. But you can still watch the regular episodes on much. So you're, it's kind of all over the place. It's kind of dissuading, I think, a little bit from sort of keeping up with it. Because it's like, well, I don't want to get a subscription to another streaming service just to watch these things. But I also am not paying $15 for 46 minutes of entertainment. Yeah, that's true. Although we would have paid it for it when it was on DVD back back in the day. Maybe. Yeah. 
Hmm. All right. Cool. Well, I don't know if you guys watched the SAG Awards, the Screen Actors Guild Awards, as the awards awarded by the actors in the union, um, the SAG, SAG Screen Actors Guild Union. Um, and uh, I've got here a couple of things. One is the, the article here, which lists all the winners, but also I also watched the entire thing on YouTube, and I've got a link here to the entire broadcast, two hours plus um, of the award show, where um, everything, everywhere, all at once, kind of like stole the show. Um, he was the big winner for the of the, of the movie category, um, outstanding motion picture by a cast. Uh, um, they also won for uh, best actress in a leading role and best actor. Well, best actor in a leading role went to Brendan Fraser, but um, can never remember how to say his name. Help me out. Kehi Kwan. Young, yeah, he won for best supporting actor. Uh, Jason Bateman won for for Ozark, which was I don't know, was kind of a he was up against he was up against uh, Adam Scott and Severance and Bob Odenkirk and Better Call Saul, Jeff Bridges and the Old Man and Jonathan Banks also in, in Better Call Saul. Um, so that that was kind of I don't know if I, that, I don't know if I could call that a good category or a weak category because these are all you know most of the three of those characters were playing people that were uh, already in other things you know. Um, Jennifer Coolidge again won for White Lotus and uh yeah but everything ever oh and uh, jamie lee curtis also won for outstanding supporting female actor in a role played by a woman <laughs> uh, you know which is which is cool i like i really liked her performance in that right so yeah, she's yeah great. and or and jeremy allen white won for the bear too uh, for, uh actor in a comedy series so good good uh performances all around right yeah it seems like uh kind of what the whole sort of award season seems to be trending towards. Uh, I really do wonder if this will carry over to the Oscars. Uh, the Oscars are always a bit of a, you know, a little more conservative, perhaps. It'll be interesting to see if they True, continue yeah. this trend. I mean, I, I don't know about you both, but I want to see Michelle Yeoh holding that trophy, and I want to see Kehi Kwan and and you know, uh, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, and you know, I don't know. I've heard a lot of well, people saying that Kate Blanchett might be a real real force for her performance in tar for the uh for the oscar because it's just one of those you know one of those types of roles but it'll be interesting yeah and and uh, kehi kwan in his uh, acceptance speech uh also pointed out that i mean he was told before he that if he had won uh he would have been the first asian to win in that role in that uh, in that slot i'm not sure if that's also true for um michelle as well um Michelle Yeoh, I don't know if that's the same case that, you know, an Asian's ever won that. But yeah, it was like, you know, it was interesting to see the multicultural aspect of the whole, uh, the whole award season this year on, on SAG, SAG Awards. And actually, the, uh, the, the, in the acceptance speech, what's the name of the, the guy who plays the grandfather? He's been in a thousand things. He's like 90 years old or something. Um, oh, uh, you know, Hong. Like, um, oh, what's his first name? Anyway, they let him do the speech, right? Um, yeah, so he gave the the speech about uh, you know having um, you know like starting out working like I forget who he said the first first show he was in was uh, Clark Gable. He was in a movie with Clark Gable in his first movie. Wow, that's how far back he goes. Yeah, and uh, he he said that Jamie he said Lee is a, Lee is a Chinese name, so Jamie Lee Curtis is an honorary uh, Asian. <laughs> so she was she was Jamie. the only. Um, I got it's James Hong. I knew, I knew the last name was Hong. James I can remember yeah. James yeah. Hong. Yes. Yeah. You're right. Like yeah. a legend. Yeah. So he was. He was cool. He was up. up uh, gave the, the acceptance speech for that as well. Cool. 
Yeah, I saw yeah. he got a uh, star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame recently, which is awesome, too. Really? Wow, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, good for him. Cool. So over to you for some Umbrella Academy news. Some casting news, yeah. So we knew that the uh, the, the final season of the Umbrella Academy is coming to uh, Netflix in the not-distant future. Uh, a little bit of casting news this week. So uh, Nick Offerman and uh, his wife, Megan Mullally, uh, and the uh, comedian and performer David Cross are all going to be in the final season. Uh, it's according to this story, the uh, Offerman and Mullally, who are married in real life, will play doctors Jean and Jean Thibodeau, a married pair of community college professors from New Mexico who wear very sensitive footwear and suffer from the most extreme case of deja vu this timeline has ever seen. Cross will play Cy Grossman, an upstanding shy business owner and family man who will stop at nothing to reconnect with his estranged daughter and get her back. Um, yeah, I mean, I like all three of these performers a lot, and I love when Nick Offerman and Meg Mullally are in things together. So this is, I'm, I mean, I was in for this show already, but this is just even, a, it's a little sweetener on top of that. So, quick question, what station or which channel is the Imperial Academy on? Well, that would be on Netflix, Tim. Oh, no, you got to be kidding me. It is on, on the Netflix. I think it's on Space, too. Um, I might have some of it PBR because, yeah, I, I hadn't been catching up, hadn't been keeping up with the show, but um, I think I might have it on my PBR from the Space Channel or whatever they're calling it, Sci-Fi. Yeah, CTV Sci-Fi. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know if it's on there. I think it was, yeah, but I, don't, but I, I didn't watch very many of them. That's the one with, um, again, with the... Um, SAG Award winning um, Canadian actor from University of, or not University, Upper Canada College, Brendan Fraser, right? Is that that one? Uh, no, that's Doom Patrol. Oh, that's Doom Patrol. Oh, maybe it's Doom Patrol I have. Yeah, video. Doom Patrol was airing here on the CTV Sci-Fi or Showcase or something like that. Uh, that's on Crave here as well. That's an HBO Max show. Yeah, I've been trying to I've been trying to avoid Netflix, but I'm like every time I think about something, I'm like, oh yeah, that's on that show. And I, I, I didn't finish watching Dead to Me and a few other shows that are on there, right? So oh, the hmm. bitter, bitter irony. I know, eh? So yeah, it's kind of like, well, I am a stockholder, so I guess I'm I'm already making profit off them anyway. So <laughs> well, let's see, let's see how they're they fare when all these people drop their subscriptions because that seems to be happening. Yeah, is it really? Yeah, we'll have to see. Cool. Oh, and speaking of what I can't watch on Netflix. <laughs> yeah, a couple of things here. First one is uh, FUBAR, which lands on May 25th as a series on Netflix starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. He is a uh, about to retire, I'm too old for this kind of thing, CIA guy who gets into, you know, some hijinks, some drama, some action. You, if you've heard any of the words I've said collected together, you probably know what you're getting in for. So uh, buckle up for that, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah time i mean he's come back and done a few different roles although i can't say i loved him in the the terminator dark fate movie either so hmm, i don't know has he passed his best before did you care do you care if you see the name arnold schwarzenegger appearing in a movie or sylvester stallone or i mean i guess up until recently built bruce willis like some of these 80s 90s action stars i feel like they're they're kind of broken the best before date on those ones I think Expendables was probably the best vehicle for them, or, or Red is another one that where mm-hmm. you had these kind of recycled stars. Yeah, but the point um, was that they had gotten past their prime, right? Well, I mean, other than roles like Conan and uh, and the Terminator itself, like I never really could sort of buy Arnold Schwarzenegger as a as an average American, you know, 
husband kind of thing, right? Like true lies, for example, right? Um, it just it just seemed odd to me that how could he be an undercover, you know, agent kind of thing with such a heavy accent, right? Um, so I, he's always sort of been, even though I, you know he's a bodybuilder and he's like Mister Universe and all that kind of stuff back in the day. So he got to start, but I never really could see him as as you know a huge action star. But uh, and so I'm tragically not sorry that I'm not going to be able to watch this show, you know. Um, but yeah, I think I think like the Expendables was sort of the funny, you know, the sort of send off for all those guys, kind of putting them all on one last mission, kind of thing. But and again, the trope of oh, an aging agent, you know, who's past his prime, who should have retired, should be off golfing somewhere, you know, gets into a, a kerfuffle over something. I mean, that's been done and done and done and done and done, right? Yeah, I mean, it's well worn territory, but at the same time, people seem to like it, so. If people are tuning yeah. in for it, I guess it is what it is. I don't know. People voted for Trump, too. So what can I say? <laughs> <laughs> yep. You got to watch something on Sunday when you're doing the dishes and laundry. And if it's not this, it's Paw Patrol 2 that I think you gentlemen said was coming out soonish. Is it? Yeah. There you go. Maybe Arnold could do a character in that. Could <laughs> just marry the two concepts together. Rounding things out and the things that uh, Tim can't watch on Netflix is the uh, stop motion Pokemon series called Pokemon Concierge. No uh, no release date for this yet. It's a stop-motion animated series, so uh, that'll be that'll be fun and different. So probably something for the kiddos, I would guess. A little bit more uh, all-ages friendly. Cool. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see that. You know, Pokemon has always been video game or animated. It'd be interesting to see something else. I guess Detective Pikachu was kind of something else, but I don't know. Stuff that Tim, I think, can watch, because I think he is an Apple TV Plus subscriber, is uh, the I upcoming do. Right. soon, very, very soon, March 15th, which is two uh, two weeks from today, is uh, Ted Lasso Season 3. We've got the, uh, as the title says here, Extra Feel Good official Season 3 trailer. Do you all uh, get hyped for this? The trailer did not hype me. The, the, the trailer didn't necessarily hype me. The fact that it's coming back hyped me. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I did find myself uh, wondering, because there's been a lot of talk that this might be the last season of this, too. I wonder if they're going to follow through with that, or if, if this is sort of a, uh, you know, wait and see. Are we going to get a final season? Is there more after this? I'll be curious to know if this one's wrapping up. Seems like a lot of stuff's wrapping up lately. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's a funny show. It's funny, you know, it's funny because... Um, I wasn't really expecting to really like this show when it first came out, but, you know, it, it's a good ensemble cast, and, and uh, it's funny in its own way. It's sort of kind of quirky, right? It's uh, sweet. But I guess, it's just sweet. It's it's nice. It's just it's, yeah, it's, it's like a the, breath it's like of the fresh little, air. It's like the little baked goods that he gives everybody on the show kind of thing, you know, like... Um, it's the opposite of Twitter. It's just, it's just nice to have in your yeah. life. <laughs> That's true. And well, and we've got the big dynamic tension between you know his assistant and who's now the coach of the other team, right? And yeah, uh, isn't it owned owned by her husband, her ex husband, her ex husband? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so that's going to be going to be an interesting interesting dynamic as well. Yeah, yeah, that's one of those ones that's nice because like we can all sit around and watch that. Like everybody likes it. It's just easy to watch. There's, you know, it's funny but not not like over the top offensive or anything. It's yeah, it's it's just a good show. Yeah. Cool. I've uh, got a couple more. And uh, the first one is another little bit of casting news. So I think I mentioned a few episodes back that they're going to uh, reboot the Hellboy comic book movie franchise once again. 
And for the uh, third time in four movies, we're getting yet another actor playing Hellboy. So uh, obviously, uh, you know, they wanted to go a different way. The last movie with uh, David Harbour didn't uh, perform particularly well. So they're going to adapt a story, a pretty good story, actually, called The Crooked Man um, that was done by Mike Mignola, the creator and artist Richard Corbin a number of years ago. Um, and they've announced that they are casting an actor named Jack Kessie, K-E-S-Y, Kessie, uh, in this role. It's funny because it says, you know, and I saw a couple different pieces on pop up on social. And then I saw the stories that were up on you know, a lot of the news, the entertainment news sites, Deadpool 2 actor. And I was like, Deadpool 2 actor, who is he in Deadpool 2? I'm looking, I'm looking. He played Black Tom Cassidy, which... In the comic books, Black Tom's got a bit of a history. He was, you know, a, a longtime ally of the Juggernaut, a foe of the X-Men. He's kind of played for a laugh in in the Deadpool 2 movie, and he gets like a grand total of about 30 seconds of screen time. So I don't know that this is quite the enticement that they think it is. It, it, when I saw what he actually did, I was like, this was not a star of the movie, and he's not a veteran of the you know, Like, this is like a guy who had a bit part. And he may be great, but uh, not based on that. That was just, you know, it was, it was fine. It was completely unmemorable. So, yeah. Hmm. Now, apparently he's been in other stuff. It said he was on um, The Strain, which I also have not seen. Did either of you watch The Strain? I think I watched like an episode or two of it. That was one about a, a virus, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, he's, he's been around for a while. Big deal for him if he's he's headlining a movie, so that's pretty cool. But uh, yeah, anyway, this is this is your new Hellboy. He'll be in heavy prosthetics. You won't even notice who it is, anyways. It'll look like a big, uh, red, giant-handed uh, Hell Beast. I was going to say, but yeah, you know, Ron Perlman owns that role. I mean, like, oh yeah, you know, he was just he was. I mean, just he was also the Beast and back in the early Beauty and the Beast things, right? You know, oh yeah, from the nineties, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I love it. And you know where I think he's just amazing is, uh, and I know you agree with me, is In the Name of the Rose. He's yeah, so well, good. Yeah, yeah, Salvatore. Yeah. 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 That's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, <laughs> when I was working in uh, Los Angeles, I actually uh, saw him one day outside of a cafe and he was talking on his phone and he's completely recognizable, easily could tell that it was him. It was just, uh, yeah, just outside of Hollywood. And I saw him standing there talking on his phone. And I'm a huge fan, and I was like, oh, I'm not going to bother the guys on his phone, stuff like that. So I walked by, and, and he sort of walked by, and he knew that I knew who he was, and he sort of gave me the nod, and I gave him the nod back. And I was like, all right, well, that's, that'll, that's a satisfying interaction yeah, as sure. far as, you yeah. know, those things go, you know. I, I know who you are. You, you, you know who I am. Cool, cool. And we just kind of went out of our and, way. And, but, yeah, yeah. and he respects you for not bugging him, too, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, again, sure. if, if he was, you know, if he was just standing there, I might have come over and just said, hey, you know, I'm a big fan of your work or something. But, you know, that was a perfectly pleasant interaction. It felt very Canadian. I was like, I know who you are, but I'm not going to bother you because that would be weird. Right. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> the last story I've got for us for the news uh, this week for the headlines is... Uh, uh, <laughs> This one made me laugh. Hollywood Reporter had a story today that made me laugh. Uh, so James Cameron, uh, in the wake of Avatar 2 and some of the, uh, we'll, we'll call them blunt uh, comments regarding the quality of this movie, which for the record, again, is the second highest grossing film of all time now behind Avengers Endgame. 
he decided that he wanted a little bit of unfiltered opinion. And, you know, sometimes when you're working inside these giant Hollywood systems, you know, you, you get a lot of yes people and you get a lot of, oh, you're the greatest and everything else. And he decided to go a different route. So he joined his uh, producing partner, John Landau, and they basically had a screening uh, and they brought in people who had seen the film at least once or multiple times. And then they basically asked them for their completely unvarnished opinion of the film. And these people gave like, you know, pretty blunt responses, some things they loved, some things they didn't. And, and Cameron says like, this is exactly what I wanted to hear. And I got some really great notes for it and it's going to make Avatar 3 better. I'm like, that's, I mean, kudos, right? Like, but I just can't imagine, like, could you imagine, I mean, you know, Tim, you're an artist. Could you imagine being like, I want you to come in and tell me what you think of the work? <laughs> like, that sounds like a nightmare. That's true. That's true. That's, well, actually, that was the worst part about, for me personally, that was the worst part about art school is, is you do put your work up in front of your peers and they just tear holes in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't really tear holes in it, but they give you criticism, but it feels like they're tearing holes in it. Yeah. Cool. All right, well, this is the part of the show where we talk about the main event. The main event this week is Star Trek Picard, Season 3, Episode 3, 17 Seconds, uh, which refers to, yeah, I mean, you know... Um, I guess my elevator, Cure album? Well, yeah, my... Uh, I wouldn't know that, but my... Um, my elevator pitch was was you know if you only got seventeen seconds to in- interface with your kid take those t- take the time and do it that's my elevator pitch yeah I think that was I think we all kind of went on the same same line Jaime you might have the same but mine was yeah your whole life can change in seventeen seconds right and and we see that twice yeah yeah so are we but so uh, before we jump into Jaime's pitch are mm-hmm. we meant to think that like because it was interesting you know it's funny as you know i've had some tragic things in my life and mm. i i really i thought it was interesting the way the writers or you know the character of Riker l- lists off the kids because when people say to me how many kids do i have to me i always say it's complicated and because mm. i don't think i don't think people are really ready for the, the actual answer right um but yet the fact that he says i you know, I have a daughter and I had a son is a really elegant way of saying what he's saying without putting it out there for people to really sort of chew on. Right. But he's in that moment when he's talking to Jack, he's kind of hitting him with it. Like it is kind of meant to be a, well, it, a yeah, it's meant to jab. be factual. Yeah. But like, like I said, like, you know, my, Hey, it's complicated answer kind of skirts around the thing. Cause I, you know, some people react badly when I tell them, you know, but you know, this is the way it is. But anyway, I do the same thing when people ask me about my siblings. So fair enough. True. Yeah. 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 But now, but now we have a new, a new, like almost like having pronouns. It's a new uh, adjective, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Adjectives, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, Jaime. Did you have a pitch other than seventeen seconds? Uh, no, it was, it was pretty pretty basic. That the the Titan heads deeper into the nebula to hide from the Shrike. Picard and Beverly discuss their past. And Worf and Raffi play good cop, bad cop. Yeah. <laughs> bad cop, good Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> and it was interesting, too. Like, you know, like, I, I know we have to flash back, but we have to have the two, you know, the A plot and the B plot. And I'm like, well, there are actually pro- probably more plots than that. But because there's also the Picard versus Riker plot. Um, and then the Picard versus, well, the Picard versus everybody plot. <laughs> 
you know, and then there's the seven plot. And, uh, but I mean, like, it, it's kind of odd. It kind of, I, I don't know, it kind of disrupted the flow a little bit when they jumped, they would go, you know, they have the big, you know, conflict with, with, um, I forgot her name, not, not Valerian. What's her name? Um, the, the, uh, Vatic. Vatic. Yeah. The Vatic conflict with, with the Shrek and the, and the Titan, not the Enterprise. And, and they kept, you know, every time the, the, the scene would break to, you know, or they would show, oh, we're going to look at the, the, the war story now. My, my heart sank a little bit, <laughs> you know, cause they get you, you're so built up on this, this, how they get out of this, you know, un, unbeatable situation. And then they keep flipping back over to, the other two, although they had to have that plot reveal, like which you were you were asking last week, what is the big, what's the, who's the who's the nemesis behind this whole thing, right? And I think mm. we're coming to a conclusion now, right? The who is coming clear. It's the how. It's the why that I think the why, we'll, we'll, yeah. get, we'll, we'll get more I into. A, I, do, I have a question about that. We'll get to that later, but yeah. All right, so let's jump to our pew pew pew. Uh, I I had the uh, the the portal weapon. Yeah, I was going to say because you know, remember in the last up, last season of Rick and Morty, Rick loses his his portal gun. Yeah. So clearly, now we found it. It was at Daystrom Institute, apparently. Apparently, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I mean, I think I think yeah, it's, I think it was really cool the very first time they used it in the show. It's kind of like almost like they were throwing up a warp bubble and I'm thinking, oh, warp bubble. Then I remembered, you know, from the first episode, the way they destroyed that uh, that training institute by you know. Dropping it in through, dropping it through the portal, and then dumping it onto the back onto the planet through another yeah. portal. Uh, and I really like the way they they used the portal here to to keep you know bringing them back. You went, they kept thinking they were out, but then they got dragged back in again. You know, any uh, any other pew pew pews beyond the portal? I went different because there were there were you know uh, more literal pew pew pews. I wrote down uh, the ex-lovers quarrel between Picard and Beverly, where there was some some haymakers thrown back and forth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was a good scene. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, difficult scene, too. But, I mean, but but it's it's typical, like we've talked about, you know, the, the thing about Kirk was the ship was his, his, his woman, right? Or metaphorically. And, you know, Picard has always been has always been the mission, and I think that's what what it's kind of like you know like it's almost like she was saying, you know, you're always out to sea with your ship. You love the sea, you know, kind of thing. Like that's the sort of that's the trope that this uh, Star Trek kind of plays on, you know, with this love of the ship and love of the mission and love of space and love of the and the fact that you know I I really like the idea that she, that they put out that because he if he was revealed as being um, Picard's son, he would have been had a paint a target painted on him, right? Because, and that may in fact be why they're why they're after Jack as and now, like maybe maybe somebody knows what's going on, right? Well, and that's that's what Beverly sort of draws the conclusion on this one. This one feels like this has your sort of your fingerprints on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Here we go again, and 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 the last scene where where the uh, last part of that conversation where he they there he says something to her and she just she's just she's turned 90 degrees to him looking away i can't tell you the number of times i've been in that that position where you say something and you and it doesn't matter what you say you 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 can't get out of this situation right because your partner is just like they're like here we go again <laughs> i could just see it in her face right yeah I, you know i mean i mean you're right that's that that was a uh a killer scene and and that's you know two good actors really kind of putting it all out there too 
was there anything in there that really like i mean we'll get into it some of the quotes but yeah some of that conversation was was pretty devastating especially when like we love both these characters right like these are you know these are two beloved star trek icons and to see them just you know like they were they were kind of going for blood on like they you know he was kind of really going after her saying how how dare you and she was coming back with you know well how dare you like you don't even realize how you're perceived that was that was really good yeah definitely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i feel like i could kind of see both sides right where from picard's side he's like you know i'm i missed out on this opportunity to learn something about myself uh about what kind of father he would be and for her it was a i can you know i can lose more people or i could see if i could save this one right she uh lost her parents which i did not recall she lost her husband uh she says she lost her son wesley because he's like off doing other things so it's no different I than being was a, permanent i thought that was an impl- another implication i thought that was a bombshell I don't think no. I don't I think, think she meant literal I think he, death. He left with the traveler, yeah. right? Didn't wasn't that the last we saw of him? Is he was becoming a traveler? Yeah, oh, that's so, right. Yes, so, yeah, so he's right. like ascended to something else where it's like you know metaphorically no different than being dead, right? It's uh, he's, yeah, just gone, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm, true. All right, I think I, I think I pulled a really good Easter egg. So my my Easter egg is in the scene where Raffi wakes up and Worf is listening to opera. And doing yeah. his Tai Chi. Uh, the song that is playing is Berlioz. The, it's from one of his operas. And it's called Valence Sonore. And it is the exact same song that plays at the beginning of Fir- Star Trek First Contact. When Picard is in his cabin. And he's trying. He's been ordered not to engage the Borg. He's been ordered to stay away from the battle for Earth. And he's trying to make the decision whether or not he should break the rules. And go and join the battle. All right. Mm. Cool. Good, good. Good Easter egg. That one for sure. Yeah. I. I don't. I. I don't know if that was a deliberate choice. I don't know if there's further, deeper implications. I mean, does this mean that Worf is gonna make a a, a choice about violating orders like like Picard did? I. I don't know. But the, I just when I heard it, I'm like, huh. And I did a, a Shazam. There's a shout out for Shazam. And was like, oh, okay. And then I did a, a little search, and I was like, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, we so. should totally be updating the IMDb database. <laughs> yeah. So let's do our, our, do you want to do our quotes or best, our big question? Well, the big question is interesting, too, because uh, I have a big question about the big question. So why don't you tell us what your big question is, and I'll ask my questions. Okay, so my big question was, if throughout this episode we uncover the fact that the agents that are working against, like the the one of the big bads here, and I'm saying one because I don't think they're the only big bads here, are established to be the changelings from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This is Odo's people, right? And so my question was, why would the Dominion, the changelings, want to steal lore? If we're putting two and two together based on our conversation last week that we think lore is what they stole from Daystrom, because that's the last place we saw all those those body parts, right? So is he is he disassembled as we well, started? Before B4 is there, but we don't know if Laura is there. But it makes sense that Laura would be there because he was taken apart by Data years ago. Oh, was he? Okay, that's what I mean. Like he was disassembled. Okay, interesting. So, I guess the, the part I'm miss, the part I'm a little bit messed up on, and and this is from Deep Space Nine, and probably from not watching it 
regularly or since the, the end of it. But so the, the Dominion War, which is what was one of the, the major plot points in the whole of Deep Space Nine, that was the changelings were behind that. They were because those who were those guys, the, the aliens that were doing all the battling, what were they called? The Jem'Hadar? The Jem'Hadar Jem yeah. Jem were basically drug-fueled slaves of the of the changelings. Oh, so they were doing they were doing the fighting because it's hard to fight from a bucket, right? Well, and again, they they sort of for the most part they they were more about the espionage part of it, the in going in disguise. You'll recall that whole uh, great two point two part story arc where they they basically uh, sub in for Bashir and and try and mess things up and. Yeah, they were kind of more that, whereas the Jem'Hadar were supposed to be these just, like, mighty warriors, and they, they basically enslaved them by, by making them drug addicts, right? Right, right. Hmm. Jaime, I know you're big on the DS9. I, I, gotta know, I gotta know what you're thinking about all this. Yeah, I had uh, Odo and the Changelings as sort of an intertwined Easter egg hunt. Uh, East, you know, Easter egg is kind of less for the Changelings because they're, they're named, and the Dominion are named, and the uh, the faction that has broken off from the the main part of the Great Link. Uh, I don't believe Odo is name dropped exactly, but uh, Worf does say that uh, you know something like a great man from uh, from there told him about this and and how yeah I think he says a man of honor man of honor thank you yes yes yeah I, I took that to mean Odo too I, it's nice it's a nice little shout out for Rene Bourgeois, who's of course passed away a few years ago so a nice nice little way to get uh a little tie in obviously he and Michael Dorn would have would have acted together for a number of years so nice right, nice way yeah. to give him a little shout out but True. the part that I also can't rationalize beyond obviously the whole like if they broke into Daystrom to steal lore or before or whatever I don't also understand if this is the Dominion doing this, what is their beef with Picard in particular? Right. Like, I don't yeah. remember Picard having a particularly big role. And I'm worried that they're going to build towards some sort of off-camera event that we don't know about where Picard did a thing. And, you know, like, I was really hoping this would sort of tie into the larger narrative of sort of pre-Paramount Plus Star Trek shows where we, you know, a little Wrath of Connie, bring something back, you know, tie it all together. And I guess they're kind of doing the greatest hits. You know, we talked about, obviously, they did the Borg in season one. They did Q in season two. But the Changelings? I don't know. There's well, got to be something be else. Only because there was there was a lot of crossover episodes on Deep Space Nine, like where, where you know, the Enterprise would show up, right? Because uh, weren't they there? They were there in the first premiere episode. And Yeah, well, they... that's where, where Cisco just basically tells Picard to get stuffed for killing his wife, yeah. right? Yeah, and then and then uh, I think they they deliver Worf to them or something like that, or Worf was on the Enterprise, but you know left the Enterprise to go work in Deep Space Nine, and yeah, yeah, yeah they kind of go back and forth because he goes back and forth between the movies and the show, right? Yeah, right. Yes, and um, yeah, that was always sort of an odd odd thing, but um, hmm. It is, a, it is a good question, like, where are they going with this, and why lore? Like, okay, so if they've already stolen lore, why are they after Picard, or why are they after Picard's son, right? I, I think I, they're, I, they're after the son it, to get the father, If it's the not father, the crystalline right? entity, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I mean, really, I think yeah. he's got to be the big bad behind all this. Or Q. Well, I mean, because, like, you know, in the same sense that, you know, I think we they had an episode of... of um, what was it in uh, Lower Decks where, you know, you guys go around, you, you, do, you make all these sweeping changes, and then you leave. 
right? Mm -hmm. So it's going to be, you know, I have a feeling it's going to be something like that, like something that Picard did without really like, like Kate impregnating Beverly Crusher, for example, without realizing <laughs> that he's done it, you know? Um, you know, because, yeah, he, I think he would kind of remember, like, the last time, last time I saw her, you know, we, I don't know, we kind of got it on. I don't, you know, anyway, but, you know. Apparently raw dogging it, too. So good job. Sorry? Good job, Picard. Exactly. Well, exactly. That's the other, like, again, 21st century. Haven't we figured this stuff out yet? You know, like I said last week. It's it's but, good to uh, know that birth control is still like a woman's responsibility in the 24th century, too. Isn't that great? 100%. 100%. He, exactly. He's just like, yeah, no, I just, I came, it's, uh, you know, I, yeah. I'm out of here, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. He must have had that. What was that little doll the, the that he got on that one planet? Um, oh, the Horgon? The Horgon. He must have had the Horgon with him or something. <laughs> he was under the influence of the Horgon, yeah. Jaime, do you have a big question? I um I kind of doubt how big of a question this is, but I am wondering if this is the first canonical time we've seen folks look out the window when sensors are down. Like it does seem, <laughs> it does seem like a, you know, a sensible thing to do of like, you know, uh, sensors are down, we're blind. I'm like, you got windows, get everybody looking yeah. out there uh, and hope that you yeah. see something. I want to know what happened to the other guy that was looking out the window. Where'd he go? Like, is he off shift or something? Oh, and why, if if um, LaForge is told to go and rest, in the next scene, she's at the con again? Yeah, I mean, they basically say, get the rest while you can. I guess they probably don't get a lot of sleep. Again, you'd think that'd be something they might sort out by the 24th century. Like, hey, can you go and lie down for 20 minutes and make it feel like five hours? Yeah, or yeah, they take a pill, or you just you know whatever. I mean, and don't they like? Did we establish on the lower decks that there are different crews? Yeah, different shifts, right? Like that's the whole point. Yeah, yeah. So I don't but, know, but you know, you gotta have her there. It's important. That's true. It's true. She's important. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Data, I could see because he doesn't have to rest really. You know. Yeah. Why he got any time off? I don't know. I'd be like, yeah, you know, you just go sit back down. Yeah. Exactly. Just keep that log running. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, so we, we got, uh, uh, a little bit of tension, you know, we start the episode with, uh, the de-aged Picard and the de-aged Riker, yeah. uh, toasting yeah. the birth of, of Thaddeus, uh, Riker's, uh, now unfortunately, uh, canonically dead child. Um, and you know, they're all buddy, buddy. And, and then over the course of the episode, we kind of see this fraying and fraying where, you know, their two styles are kind of clashing with one another and, and the power positions have changed, right? You know, it was always the captain, uh, you know, Captain Picard and, and Commander Riker. Now it's, it's Captain Riker and <laughs> you, what's the, what's the line? Uh, you, you, I guess you better start calling me number one. Yeah. You, you should call me number one now. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, it, it was interesting to see that dynamic shift and, you know, it's, it's an interesting one too, you know, obviously. This is something that people go through with, you know, uh, friends who are older or obviously family members who are older, where like the power dynamic kind of shifts a little bit. And, you know, you obviously you respect these people immensely, but also there's times where you are also an adult and you're also experienced and, you know, you you feel like you know what's right, too. And, and we see that really come to a head in this episode between Riker and Picard. It's interesting because obviously those two for the first few episodes, we're very much on the same page, although, you know, Riker's clearly pushing Picard towards this sort of fatherhood uh, story. But yeah, interesting to see those two kind of their styles clashing so extremely that we get this, you know, very, very uh, 
damning final line for the episode, which is, you know, remove yourself from the bridge. You've just killed us all. Like that's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Um, okay. For the quotes, I had a, <laughs> I had a bunch. Um, my, my favorite is probably uh, beheadings are on Wednesdays. I might get that on a t-shirt. Yeah, that was yeah, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty good one. I really like the line, and I, I'll, I'll, I'll skip the expletive, but the line from Shaw where they're inside the, the nebula and the, the science officer, the Vulcan science officer says, uh, you know, I'm getting weird readings. It's almost as if the nebula is alive. And he says, anyone else want to throw some weird blank at me? <laughs> I thought that was, yeah. he's a, I really enjoy his performance. Again, he's a curmudgeonly schmuck, but he's funny. His deadpan deliveries are great. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I mean, that what Jaime mentioned, the, 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 some of the stuff between the two of them uh, in the conversation between Picard and, and, uh, and Crusher are, oof. Um, you know, how dare you take my confiding about my father, about my fears, and use it to cut me out of the biggest decision of my life. Uh, her line. All I knew is that if you're the son of Jean-Luc Picard, there's a target on your back. That was a good one. Right, yeah. And her, I think her her coup de grace was, as a mother, your whole being is about protecting your child. I thought I could protect mine. I didn't know if I can protect yours. That was a killer line. And she killed mm-hmm. that. She was so good. A um, couple of funnier ones. Well, yeah, Will, I think it might be time for you to call me number one when, uh, when uh, they find themselves in that role reversal. Uh, I have, as humans say, been working on myself from Worf. That was that was a great one. Yeah. Uh, anything else jump out for you guys? I think you pretty na- nailed it. Like the the number one one, I think for sure. But uh, the beheadings are on Wednesdays. So just the sort of the deadpan dropping because she sort of what did she say to him? Like you know, you look like you like what do you wear when you're out for beheadings? Because she he's he says he's dressed in casual and he's almost embarrassed about it, right? Yeah, she's like, like you, you kind of stand out in your, you know, Klingon, you know, warrior garb. He's like, this isn't warrior garb, this is casual wear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I liked, uh, I didn't write the whole thing down, but when it's when he introduces himself properly to Raffi when she wakes up, where he's, you know, I am Worf, son of Mog, and he basically runs through all the Klingon credentials, and, you know. And then his Earth and then, credentials as well, yeah. And then his Earth credentials, and, you know, Slayer of Gowron, uh, you know. And goes through the, all of his credentials and then says, and I have made a pot of chamomile. Would you like some? <laughs> like, it's yeah. just... Yeah. Dor was killing it in this episode. He was great. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, that was funny. Oh, she's, she says, I think, she says, I think my chamomile is coming up at one point. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, so we saw we saw uh, Marina Sirtis as, as Deanna Troy for like a fleeting little moment there in the bar at the beginning where she's got uh, baby Thaddeus and she's saying to Riker, you know, put down the whiskey and come home. Right. Uh, we still haven't seen Jordy, but we got a really long Jordy uh, conversation between um, his daughter and seven in this one. So another reference to him, obviously he's coming. So wait, wouldn't she be, she, she refers to her as commander seven. Wouldn't she be commander nine? I, I guess it depends on how you interpret her name. I, I think she's now, because she doesn't go by seven of nine anymore. She's just seven, right? Oh, seven. Okay, right. But but the thing is that the captain insists on calling her Hanson, which she hates. Yes, yeah. On the and so that's, I guess, her her uh, way of showing respect is by calling her Commander Seven, right? Right, right. But yeah, I think, I'd think i be curious to see how they roll in Jordy to this, whether we get more Troy, I assume we're going to get some proper scenes with Troy. And then obviously the Brent Spiner, we know we're going to get some Brent Spiner at some point, whether it's 
uh, lore or B4 or both or who knows? Maybe it's a, another positronic being. But uh, yeah, I'll be curious to see how this all sort of comes back. Yeah, there was there was one other quote too when when um, uh, Jack comes to get her to go investigate. You know what's going mm. on? He's not allowed on the bridge because the other guy says go away, right? Um, he uh, he's standing inside her room and she's confined to quarters. And of course, there's a security guard outside who won't let her leave the her quarters. And he sort of does his head bob thing, and and then he just sucker punches the guy, like you know, in the glass jaw, and knocks him knocks him flat on his back. And she looks at him and says, "You're insane." And then they leave, yeah. right? Yeah, because that could have worked out really badly if he didn't get the punch right. Well, I, I don't think that was the first time that Jack Crusher is supposed to have thrown a punch. Can we also no, just no, yeah. circle back to one quick thing? And I think I think Jaime, you mentioned this last week. Mm-hmm. How weirdly disturbing is it? Now that we've got, like, you know, last week they kind of wrapped the episode with the, the revelation that Jack is, is Jean-Luc's son. Somewhere in that conversation, shouldn't Jean-Luc have just looked at her and said, and naming him after your dead ex, your, your dead husband instead of me or someone in my family? What's up with that? Yeah, it, it's, it's a weird one. Um, the last thing that I have written here uh, related to Jack is uh, these serialized things and the way they set him up almost qualifies a new category that we could cover called mea culpa, where, uh, you know, I made the funnies about like, oh, you know, his, his accent is, uh, is genetic or, you know, hand wave. Like, well, maybe <laughs> yeah. it's because, you know, she kept him isolated and all he had for bedtime stories were Jean-Luc Picard, Captain's Logs or something. I was, uh, I was <laughs> thinking that when she was telling the story, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like uh, the news story I saw of like, oh, there's all these like American kids getting slight British accents because of the popularity of Peppa Pig. I'm like, all right, you know, plausible. But <laughs> they actually answered. I am shocked. I My mouth dropped when they answered. And it turns out that Jack went to a school in London. They threw in a sentence yeah. in the third episode that says, hey, uh, this is why this dude kind of sounds like his father from an accent perspective. Yeah, you yeah. just know that was heading off the, the trolls at the pass, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nitpickers like us don't get to pick those nits anymore. Want <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, to move on to The Mandalorian? We got our yeah. first Mandalorian episode mm-hmm. in quite a long time. I, Mandalorian I gotta, season I got to say, say, I'm pretty disappointed in the folks over at Apple TV Plus because I've been going on for the last three years about how amazing the interface is on the Apple TV Plus because when the shows that I have in my in my category of up next come out on the main menu it always shows me what the next show on in the up up next thing is I missed that the Mandalorian came out yesterday because I just was busy and it didn't show up in my so I ended up watching the the new Eugene Levy show the Reluctant Traveler Instead of watching The Mandalorian last night, which I would have done had I realized it was Wednesday and that it was coming out. <laughs> so whoever's running the algorithms over Apple, come on, get with the game. <laughs> yeah, Apple. You got yeah. other things to spend your time on. All right. So this is season three, episode one, uh, which is also known as chapter 17. So we're continuing the chapter Ooh. naming uh, structure. Chapter 17, the apostate. An apostate for those who do not know, is somebody who has either renounced or been renounced by a religion. So that would make Din Jaren our apostate in this case. 
Um, I was very proud of my two. I, I was so proud of myself that I wrote two elevator pitches, and I'm very proud of both of them. May I read them for you? Yes, you may. All right. Uh, so the first one is Mando and Grogu are getting the band back together, and they're on a mission from God. <laughs> right. Yeah. And my my backup one, which I might even be more proud of, is much Grogu about nothing. Huh. Mm. That's that's my official review of a 32-minute opening episode after, like, a two-year wait. Mm. Much Grogu about nothing. <laughs> that was a good, good one. All right. You guys go. Yeah, for me, I went with, uh, that's Mando in the corner. That's Mando in the spotlight losing his religion. <laughs> oh, you know, I thought I had it, Jaime, but you had it. You had it the whole time. Oh, <laughs> damn you, Lopez. Oh, so good. <laughs> yeah. I would have an elevator pitch if I hadn't rushed through the show before this. <laughs> Thanks, Apple. Well, <laughs> it was, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm going to start at the beginning. I can't believe it was only 32 minutes long. That one now, was of wow. Course, okay, thirty-two minutes. I I sat down and so I, I was I'm like okay, it's Wednesday. I'm gonna watch it. Okay, and you know sat down with my son and we're gonna watch this thing. And we sat down. We like made ourselves comfortable. We sat down. We're like, woof, Mandalorian's back. And like we were like, wait, what? It it's over. What happened there? It's I can't believe it's over already. Now I know what that means. It means that you know. Just like a lot of other Disney Plus series, it means that they wanted to go bigger on other episodes, and they're really kind of going by an aggregate time amount for the season, not per episode. So we might get another, you know, hour-long, spectacular, grand, epic thing later on in the season, and maybe that's the sacrifice. But I don't know. This felt like, uh, yeah, much ado about nothing. It was just, it was, it was a nice little check-in. They, you know, we got to kind of check in. On Navarro, we kind of got to check in on, you know, what happened with some of the other characters, you know, check in with the, you know, we check in with the Mandalorians, we check in with Grief Cargo, we check in with, you know, Din and, Jar Din and Grogu, obviously, we check in with, you know, what happened with Cara Dune, we check in what happened with Moff Gideon, and then they basically go to point B, we check in with Bo-Katan, and it's just like, and the episode's over. Like, th this, yeah. it was just a, a, a well-shot recap. Yeah, and, and so my, you know, and the cold open, right? Because, you know, I'm thinking like a cold open is kind of like, oh, is this is this Mando going through the ceremony? But, you know, the helmet color is slightly different. And then all of, like, I don't know if you remember my, my discussion about uh, Red Dead Redemption a couple of weeks ago. When the big giant alligator thing from the sea comes up and, like, starts attacking you, run away. <laughs> yeah. You know? What? You know, like how many of them died just trying to fight off this thing? And they were losing, they were losing that battle. And then, of course, you know, the thing is, it's funny though, when Mando's ship showed up, because that's, that's, it's like the, uh, the, the, it's almost the, what were they, the, the, um, Phantom Menace speeders from, uh, Naboo, right? Those, yep. those, those ships, because he's got one. Yeah, that's Naboo been, Starfighter, yeah. Yeah, uh, Naboo Starfighter. And that's what, and that's what it shows up. I'm like, oh, look, a Naboo Starfighter. And then I'm, but it took me a second to realize, oh, wait a minute. And then I went, is that Mando? Like, okay, now I'm confused, right? But yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I think they were, they were trying to do that deliberately. I think they were kind of trying to throw you for, well, maybe yeah. this is Din Djarin becoming a his flashback. thing. I, I had yeah. the same thought. I'm like, oh, this must be a flashback. 
because there's so many Mandalorians and it looked like yeah. it could be, you know, but then, yeah, they sort of throw you that. No, no, we're in the present. This is just somebody, some other kid getting his helmet for the first time. Yeah, but there seems to be a lot of them. Like, I thought they were all almost like the Jedi, you know, far-flung kind of thing. Because yeah, there was, God, there had to be like 50 or 75 of them on that beach, right? So, plus other yeah, kids that's, getting getting going yeah. through the ceremony. Yeah. But yeah, run the hell away. Like, that thing was can, huge. Can we talk about the strategy of deploying, uh, like, a grappling hook to a monster that is, like, especially rolling in, around especially and Especially, like, an alligator. Because how alligators fight is they, they a crocodile's fight, an alligator's fight, is they, they grab a hold of something, and then they spin like that in the water to drown the other, the, the opponent. Like, if it's a wildebeest yeah. or whatever, right? Good thing like, they're not wearing heavy armor. That's true. That's true. Well, yeah. Crazy. And I mean, yet, and yet, this was not necessarily our best pew 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 of the episode. No, definitely, yeah. I mean, did you have this as your pew pew pew, or did you have the other scene? I I had this one on the the pew pew pews, uh, like per minute sort of thing. The other one, the dog fight, was um, you know very exciting in, in kind of a uh, folks are definitely going to blow up sort of way. Right? Yeah. You know, so fewer. Yeah, pews. I mean that was a sort of yeah. It was a foregone conclusion how that was going to end, but I kind of liked watching, uh, you know, just somebody in a really cool, fast ship do cool, fast ship stuff. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. No, I li I liked the the uh, the um, the pirate onward. Or, or, so you were talking about the pirate attack, or when 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 he's being chased. Oh, my my PP was actually the uh, the the standoff on the planet at the beginning with the other pirates, right? Oh, so you had the one on Navarro where they're trying yeah. to <laughs> trying to get drunk at the school. Yeah, they want to go back. They want to go to school exactly, and then and they they do the uh, the gunslinger thing, the the draw yep. kind of thing, right? Yeah, and the two of them are ready to draw, and then uh, the the mayor or whatever he was, he shoots the gun out of the other guy's hand rather than killing him. It just shoots his hand, right? So he drops his weapon, and which is you know sort of the elegant you know senior gun gunslinger kind of way you want them to do it as opposed to just killing them per se right and then um the other but then when all the other pirates reach for their weapons you know mando and and uh our um what's his name the oh, Karga. yeah they both just bang 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 and yeah the four four out of the five pirates are are lying on the ground and you know and then it's like go tell your friends not to come here you know kind of thing. yes go tell Pirate King Captain Gorian Shard, which might be the biggest, coolest title I've heard in a while in Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. And he's quite the character. We get to see him later on. I, I don't think we've ever seen a species quite like that. A little CGI for my taste, but. Yeah. Um, Wasn't he a Chia Pet? They were or going something? for something. I, I think he was a Chia Pet. <laughs> yeah. He looked like, uh, yeah, he looked like my backyard hedge come to life. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what kind of character, you know, Silas, what's his name? Silas Green from, or Silas from Jabba the Hutt's um, palace. His oh, so, Salacious Crumble. That's, that's, I got that as my Easter egg. Oh, with the, the tree full of them? Okay, sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, that, yeah, that was my Easter egg was the, the they're called Kowakian monkey lizards. Okay. Uh, Salacious Crumb is the one from, from uh, Jabba's palace. But so that was like a beautiful way to, to juxtapose what Navarro was at the beginning of the series versus what Navarro is now, right? So at the first episode of The Mandalorian, we see them walking through the streets of Navarro, and on Navarro, we see uh, the Kowakian 
uh, monkey lizards are in cages and one of them is being barbecued over his spit. Yeah. yeah. And so we know that it's not happy times for the Kowakian monkey lizards. And then here we see like, what, like five of them like hanging out in a tree and they all look like really happy. And Navarro's this like beautiful, pristine, you know, trading outpost now. It was just, it was a beautiful, simple way to illustrate like how much things have changed on, on Navarro. I thought that was great. Yeah. In like what, a year or two years, I guess. Yeah, they're they're not really super clear on the timelines in this show. I saw a story the other day from IGN where they said uh, they were talking with um, John Favreau, and he said that Grogu was with Luke for almost two years. Oh, okay. And I right. thought, wait, what? That's what? So yeah, I'm 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 kind of surprised by that. I didn't really see that that was the the time range. I wouldn't have thought that that's what it was. I kind of wish every once in a while they would sort of time check so that we could figure out like how much time has is or has passed. But yeah, I was, I was really surprised by that comment when I saw it. That was just maybe two days ago on IGN. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So wait, so was this character from, I'm getting confused between Book of Boba Fett and this and Mandalorian. Cause Manda, Book of Boba Fett, he runs across the, the Jabba's, right? The huts. Yes. Yes. Right. Hmm. So I guess somewhere between when the end of season two, where Luke and Grogu leave together, to when Grogu shows back up on Tatooine during the big climactic fight scene in Book of Boba Fett, that's supposed right. to have been two years passing where the two of them were apart, hmm. which I guess is good because it kind of contextualizes how Grogu now has. A little more force acuity right we see him yeah. use the force multiple times in the first episode of the season but also i don't think they did a very good job of conveying that right yeah yeah i thought he was gonna there was a conflict at one point where i thought he was gonna use the force but he didn't i mean we see we see him use the force and i that is my big question how much fun would it be to be able to sit in your chair and use the force to spin yourself in circles um that scene or, or i couldn't stop laughing smarties. yeah exactly yeah, I I couldn't stop laughing. I was watching it with my son, and and I was I could I had to go back and watch the dialogue again because I was laughing so hard at just watching Grogu spin himself in circles with like a little hand gesture that just killed me. Um, <laughs> and then yeah, when he looks up and he realizes there's a candy dish on there, he's like, oh, I'll have one of those, and just sucks the candy into his hand with the, with the force. Like now that is what I would imagine a young person doing with the force, not like oh, let's all live in a temple together and and you know practice with our lightsabers he's like yeah. no man i want some candy and i'm gonna spin this chair around for 20 minutes yeah, totally. didn't pull a lot of good quotes out of this one uh the one that did again it was a laugh line uh but it was a funny one so we we get to see the Anzalians, uh who of course babu frick from uh that atrocious um cinematic horror film um whose name i forget but um the Anzellians are trying to repair IG-11, and uh, and Grogu is just enchanted by the Anzellians being smaller than him. So I think, obviously, in a very meta moment where everybody wants to go squeeze Grogu because he's so cute, he just can't help himself and tries to squeeze the Anzellian. We get the quote, not squeeze, bad baby. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like 32 minutes. I, that's the part that is still just absolutely like, you know, we we got... We got in, we got catch up with the where the Mandalorians are, we got a restatement of the mission, he has to go to Mandalore, he has to bathe in the waters of the mines, 
in order to cleanse himself so that he can be reclaimed as a Mandalorian. We reconnected to the fact that uh, he's part of this kind of shady religious sect and that, you know, Bo-Katan is, is not. And, you know, he still has the Darksaber, which means he's theoretically the rightful leader of the Mandalorians, uh, but not necessarily the Children of the Watch. Um, there's a lot of Star Wars, Clone Wars, and Star Wars Rebels Mandalorian lore going through these episodes. I, if you haven't watched those, and I, I did mention this to my son, it's time to watch those because there's a lot of stuff going on here. Um, and the only other check-in we get that's probably worthwhile is uh, IG-11. So we know IG-11 got turned into a statue in part, and then they tried to revive him. That did not go well. And he turned out to be this, you know, revert to his original programming. So now that's that's sort of the side mission is trying to figure out how to how to revive IG-11. And he remembered the bounty that he had for Grogu. Well, I guess that was his original programming was, I'm a bounty hunter, I, I have to, to terminate the child, right? Mm, okay. Because that was the last thing he was doing before he was shot in the head by... In on the like on the first mission, right? But wasn't he a bounty hunter on in Return of the Jedi? Or, or no, that's IG eighty eight. That's a different model. That's oh. a different robot. Yeah, or droid. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, oh, but we wow. do get a little check in that uh, it, it was kind of a curiosity, and it's in the same way that we talked about that little drop in line about Jack. Uh, you know, going to school in London. Uh, what happened to Cara Dune? You know, Cara Dune, who got written off the show for being uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, controversial, let's just put it politely. Mm-hmm. Um, she was recruited to special forces for the New Republic and will never be heard from again. And Moff Gideon is being tried for war crimes. So we get that little little update, too. So that sort of puts a nice little bow on mm-hmm. those two characters. Maybe we'll see Moff Gideon again, although it's hard to say. But uh, yeah, that was... I mean, they did, they did cram a lot into the 32 minutes. We do, obviously, yeah. it does set a stage for a new season, but it, it just... Uh... So my, my one question, my one odd question was, I mean, not one question, but my one question, the question I'm left with is, so they, we saw a bunch of C3 models, right? You know, we had like C3PO yeah. type models. We had one that was like black and one that was like super gold. Uh, we had one that was kind of white, creamy colored, and then we had the super gold one was was with our with our mayor guy or you know chieftain guy, whatever his name is. But he's he's, he's high magistrate grief cargo. Oh, the magistrate, yeah. So I was with him, but why did it have to have a different face? If all yeah. the other C three P's had the same face, yeah, we've normally seen the that color of faceplate on uh, like black colored protocol droids of some sort. No, the shape, the shape of the, the gold one had a sort of like he didn't have a C three PO. Is it because he was gold and it would confuse the kiddos if there was another C three? Because there were three other C three C three PO type droids. I don't know what they're called. The protocol, protocol droids. I know, yeah. but but I yeah. don't. Why, they're all CP something, right? Um, but there, like, because there was a black one, there was a white one, and then like you know, yeah. they were painted flat white, like that new color that we see on yep. all the cars it's really expensive but but and then you have this this shiny gold one which is like looks like c3po at the end of uh star wars or a new hope when he's all shined up right but the face plate of this particular it, it just looked to me it looked wrong it looked like i mean i get why they wanted to change it maybe because they're going to confuse people to think that it's three c3po again but yeah i don't know it just looked odd Oh, that's using your head. That was one of the um, quotes. Yeah. 
Um, the one scene I didn't mention, and I don't know what you guys made of it. So there's a scene where they are in hyperspace. They're traveling through hyperspace. Yeah, they see a Brooklyn. whale, yeah. They see the space whales, right? From, from and the space whales are yeah. the... Yeah. Well, no, they're the, the same space whales that we see in... Um, we see them in Rebels, right? They're the right, ones yes, that live in yes, hyperspace. Yes. They're the same. The whole thing with uh, with Ezra and the space whales that, you know, I wonder if that's going to circle back around. The other question, I guess, I had for the big question, and it's probably worth asking, are all these shows... And I, I, it's the same question I have for Bad Batch, so maybe I'll save it for Bad Batch, but all these shows seem to be pointing in the same direction. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about Bad Batch, and I'll and I'll bring that one back around. Okay. Right. So, Star Wars: The Bad Batch, season two, episode eleven, Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. Elevator pitch: Clone Wars two, Revenge of the Zillow Beast. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we had the Zillow Beast in, in Clone Wars two. Yeah, I'm surprised I'm surprised that they didn't know what it was when they've seen. And theoretically, we've seen the Zillow Beasts before, right? Yeah, and this, but this would have been a few years before, anyways. But you'd think it would make headlines across the galaxy if yeah. this gigantic Zillow Beast was like ravaging Coruscant as yeah. it did. Yeah. Oh yes, this tree. Yes. Anybody else have a different elevator pitch? Uh, I hadn't seen the creature before because I haven't seen that part of uh, Clone Wars. So I just put that the batch encounters a xenomorph because that's what the the vibe it gave me. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty much. They they play the first half of it like uh like an aliens movie, right? Yeah, that's what I mean, not seeing it yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, when I first saw it pop up, when I first got a look at the beast, I thought, "Oh, that's funny. It looks like a cross between a Zillow beast and a xenomorph from the aliens movies." Yeah. And turns out I it was all correct. Yeah, it was kind of all of the above. Uh because they never really showed a Zillow beast looking like that. We only ever saw them as like a fully grown creature in the in the clone wars series but um but it was a nice little easter egg too because the you know during the clone wars that was kind of an unresolved storyline that the zillow beast was was caught off planet it was taken to coruscant it escaped they caught this thing in the end they take it down but the whole point in bringing it there was that palpatine wanted to study this thing because he wanted to try and you know learn about you know how it had its its abilities so this one kind of brings it back but then tying that into the whole like cloning technology stuff was kind of an interesting twist on it too that seems like they were trying to uh you know do some experimentation with this creature as well so yeah it's kind of a nice way to sort of bring back this character creature from from clone wars and tie it into this larger overall arc but i think that brings me back to the question that i wanted to ask both of you are all the current Star Wars projects just focused on redeeming that really crappy Episode Nine? Is that what this is mm. all about now? Because mm. <laughs> it sure feels like it. It really feels like... So, so Bad Batch is clearly pointing to this whole underlining story about cloning. You know, the Clone Force 99 is obviously our heroes, the Bad Batch. We've got Omega. We now got this whole thing going on with Dr. Hemlock, who is, of course, trying to, you know, uh, clearly trying to clone... Uh, you know, what seems to be like clone for the Emperor. He actually makes a quote. Other than the quotes, he says, uh, what happened on the Camino was unfortunate, but know that your research remains intact. He's talking to Lama Su. Uh, it's, it'll now serve a higher purpose, the Emperor's purpose. Okay, well, that right, can't yeah. be any clearer. Right, yeah. That what we're talking about here is the larger cloning project that is supposed to prolong 
Palpatine's life, which is what culminates in Episode Nine. And so that's what he's talking to, to me. To, he's talking to um, in um, is it Revenge of the Sith? No, what's the third of the first? The, the third of the first Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, yeah. he's talking to him about um, living forever, right? Sorry, I said not, I said uh, Lama Su. He was talking to Nala Say. No, I, I know, the but, but I'm talking up. about Palpatine talking yeah. to Anakin about this yes. mythical yes. living forever guy, right? Yes, yes. Which is what? Which is what? This well, Darth Plagueis the Wise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is where Episode Six. This is. I I don't know if that's the rationale for, for how they were able to to you know put him in a cart and bring him back out again, and you know like animatronically yeah. well i mean if they could animatronically mm-hmm. reproduce you know and pr- preserve picard they certainly could do it with emperor palpatine too right although the technology yeah. wasn't quite as good their their robot technology so so bad batch is pointing towards this cloning storyline that is tied into obviously the emperor's attempts to clone himself now we circle back to the mandalorian the mandalorian we got this whole story where they kept they keep trying to kidnap grogu that's what the mission was from off gideon right find me this thing it has the highest quote m count okay so that's midichlorians god yeah. i mm-hmm. can't believe they brought back the midichlorians uh and the idea is that they want to they want to kidnap this kid because they want to use his blood to use as part of this cloning technology cure the cure the infected right well, no, the idea is they want to use his, some something as cloning material that has a high M count. Therefore, it would be very Force-sensitive, right? Mm-hmm. So, I... Trying to tie it into Last of Us. Come on, you know, work with me. I... I <laughs> yes, I got it. I just... I just... I'm enjoying these shows for what they are. And I, and I love the creators of these shows. I'm just... I'm worried about this direction. Am I alone? Am I? Am I the? Should I be not worried? Now that you pointed it out, it, it is. It is a very sad state of affairs. If that's the if that's the case, right? Definitely. Like, is this like all, all we're doing now is trying to make all these prequel shows just so that somewhere ten years from now, when they're all done, you could watch all the Star Wars stories, and all of a sudden, Episode Nine won't seem so far fetched. Mm. <laughs> Maybe. Please stop trying to rescue... I'm going to say it here. Creators, all of you, please stop trying to rescue Episode Nine. Let's just move on. Let's tell good stories. Let's just tell good stories. Yeah. It doesn't all have to come back to Palpatine and the Skywalkers and all this stuff. Just tell good stories. Yeah. I thought we were, yeah, we, I thought we were, we were done with the Skywalker saga, right? As they call it in the box set, right? All nine episodes. Yeah, I think we're fooling ourselves. Well, but but you know, I'm like again, I'll I'll die on that field that says, you know, Star Wars episode Star Wars, no New Hope subtitle, you know, is a good standalone movie, right? Yeah. And and you know, you guys are so spoiled by by having sequels that are just amazing because like back in the day, sequels was the death of a storyline. Like, you know, there's so many, like Jaws Jaws 2, Jaws 3, you know, Sharknado 2, Sharknado 4, you know, (laughs) you know, Wrath of God, no, Wrath of God, but no, 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 that was a good one. That was a good one. We'll see that one. Search for Spock, you know, like, like back then, like, you know, they would have a really good movie and like, thank God they didn't try to do Taxi Driver 2, you know? Um, Yeah. You know. Where Jodie Foster they did do a, becomes a, a second. Driver. They did do a second Godfather. That worked out okay. Well, yeah, but 
Yeah, but it wasn't, you know, the Godfather, the first Godfather was, was really good, you know? Uh, I love the second Godfather is great. Yeah, it's really great. No, it's I, a great movie. Yeah. Uh, especially with the two two lifelines yeah definitely yeah for sure yeah but i mean yeah, yeah i just yeah again they they got lucky they got lucky on a few of them like you know but like you know got death wish 2 and like they used to just do that all the time like you'd have a really good movie or robocop like they are going back now what they're doing now and going back and retelling those stories again like you know yeah well Universal Shoulder well, Four is coming out soon. You know, <laughs> I hope I hope that at least in the telling we'll get good stories. I, as I say, I like the creators. I think there's good stuff here. I think there's going to be good stories. I still I'm still going to watch. I'm hoping that I will still enjoy. But the more that this stuff sort of keeps leaning in this direction, the more I keep thinking, why, why, why is it got to be like that? Yeah, is well again is is Creed two trying to rescue um, Rocky four and five? I mean, it couldn't hurt. <laughs> they kind of did that on their own. Yeah, but you're right. I mean, like the. I mean, well, even but even you could even say the same same thing about Clone Wars and the Rebels in that they're trying they were trying to rescue some. I mean, because because Rebels and Clone Wars came out before Episode Nine, right? They and episode. I thought Episode Nine was everybody's going on about how it's a sort of retelling of the first, you know, three movies, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, why, you know, yeah, you're right. I mean, why, why do they keep dragging this stuff out again? I mean, one of these Dave, yeah. Dave Filoni, who's the sort of brains behind, you know, a lot of this, including Clone Wars and Rebels, he did something that I didn't think was possible. He made me care about Anakin Skywalker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, after some horrendous dialogue and some, you know, of the poorest performances of Hayden Christensen's career, and obviously, you know, I, I don't, don't necessarily blame him entirely for it, although I think he can certainly wear some of it. That Clone Wars series, the, the Anakin in that show was awesome. He was an awesome character, and I actually cared. And when he fell at the end of that series, when he became Darth Vader, it was heartbreaking, you know, because he really built a whole... You know, and, and again, when you watched Clone Wars, you knew where it was going. You knew that it was obviously headed towards this place, but it still was sad and, and sadder in a way than by far than what we saw in episode three, just because mm -hmm. we had the stakes raised and we invested in this character and his relationship with Padme and his relationship with Ahsoka and his relationship with Rex and all these other, you know, Obi-Wan and all these other characters through the show. They redeemed that character. And so maybe, maybe... They can redeem episode nine. Maybe they can. Maybe they can redeem this whole emperor thing. I, 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 I remain optimistic that they can prove me wrong. But I just, I found myself as I was watching both of these episodes, particularly Bad Batch this week, where it seemed like it was careening towards this storyline. I thought, I, I just, I feel like it just isn't necessary. But so here we by, go. By the same token, can we talk about the redemption arc of Darth Vader in Return of the Jedi? I mean, was that necessary? Yeah. 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 It was kind uh, of... Only if we don't mention the fact that his Force Ghost somehow de-aged by, like, 25 sure. years? Well, a couple of times. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. He got retconned twice. Yeah. You know what's going to cleanse our palates, gentlemen? Let's talk about The Last of Us. Okay. So... The Last of Us... Season 1, Episode 7, Left Behind. So what, what, what I was going to say... 
earlier on when I was talking about The Last of Us and, and the fact check was that this storyline that we see in this episode is the se- the second game that was that came out of the of the first of this the first series. You know when they did the the Last of Us um, DLC remastered. Yeah. yeah, this was the downloadable content that. So if you buy, if you go online and you buy Last of Us now for twenty dollars, you'll get the first game plus this little mini game with Ellie and her her friend. And and it's it's you know it's it's a full game like it's like several several levels deep. Um, and we you know why. But that's not all. That's not all it is though. And and I'll I'll talk about that in my Easter egg. Yeah. It's not that's not the only thing that influenced this. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. Uh, elevator pitch. Uh, Ellie reflects on her past while trying to decide what to do with a badly injured Joel. Yeah, I didn't have anything exciting to say. Well, while Joel's injured, uh, we get to learn about Ellie's past as a Fedra kiddo, including how she was infected. Yeah, yeah, it's it's the the, the origin story of the bite for sure. Yeah, uh, the pew pew pew, Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. My Easter egg. So you mentioned that this was based on the Left Behind DLC, which I have not played. So I'm hoping that you and I can put our our perspective hats on here because you've played that, right? Yeah. Me? Yeah. I don't know about Jaime. Jaime, have you played the DLC? No, but I've seen playthroughs of it. Okay. I have read a comic book uh, written by Neil Druckmann, same same writer, creator of the show and the game. Uh, it's called The Last of Us American Dreams. Came out in 2000, I want to say 13, right around when the game was out. And it is actually a prequel to the Left Behind story. Okay. So it's a four-part comic series. You can get it off Comixology if you want to read it, or, or I always recommend going to your local comic book shop. It's a good, it's a good little story. Uh, as I said, written by Neil Druckmann himself, uh, drawn by Faith Aaron Hicks, who's a, a really talented artist. and. It is basically the story of how the day Ellie comes to the Fedra school and meets Riley for the first time, and then they sort of strike up this unlikely friendship that actually culminates uh, with them going to the mall and seeing all these kinds of things for the first time. So it is it is sort of part of the the left behind DLC and part of this comic book adaptation as well. So, and as far as I know, all of this is obviously in Canon for the, for the, uh, the gaming world. It's just not necessarily exactly adapted perfectly, but I definitely saw, you know, the scene where she's standing in front of the lingerie shop. That's in the, that's in the, the comic book. Uh, the arcade is in the, is in the comic book. Um, there's no carousel, but she does actually ride a real horse inside the mall. Allie does. Um, so yeah, there's definitely a lot of scenes that are sort of lifted from this source so, material so as well. The, the carousel is in the carousel is in the game. The, the, all that stuff, the arcades in the game. Um, yeah, but but there's also um, times when the two of them are fighting against a number of um, infected and baddies mm-hmm. in the game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, is uh, an interesting. Uh, the one thing that the the comic does not get to that I know the level, uh, the DLC level does, is it does not culminate in the same way with the bite and the, and, the, and that happening. It really is just about the two of them and them just sort of getting to know each other. They have this sort of adventure one night, they encounter the fireflies, and then in the end, uh, they both end up back at the school 
but they're both kind of changed by the experience. And then I, I think we're supposed to sort of pick up the, the left behind story after that. So, yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they took these sort of two pieces of source material and, and sort of worked it into what I thought was a pretty entertaining episode where we get a little bit more about Riley. I mean, I don't think there was anything in there that really caught me off guard. You know, obviously, you know, it was, um, you know, it was, it was a nice episode. So um, the actress who played Riley is Storm Reed from Euphoria. I don't know if either of you have watched Euphoria, but, um, but she's great in that as well. Uh, but I thought the two of them had a really good rapport and, you know, chemistry and were really playing well off each other. That was a really sort of entertaining episode uh, where it's kind of in that same moment from two episodes ago where uh, Joel walks into Ellie in, in the little town where they're, they're staying in Wyoming and she's reading this child's you know, teenager's diary. And she's like, is this the kind of stuff that people had to worry about back then? Like, what am I going to wear? And that's kind of what you get to in this episode where they're like, they kind of just for one night get to look at, you know, hey, this is a little time capsule. This is kind of like a little moment inside what life was before all this where, you know, people wore frivolous clothing and they played games for fun and they, you know, they had all these, you know, they went to the mall and they did their shopping and they you know, had this whole completely different life. It was kind of this sort of, you know, echoes of the past kind of thing. I, I thought it was it was really well done. Yeah, it, I mean, it was it was almost scene for scene. A lot of the the, the DLC game, um, like even even the playing with the masks in the in the store at the end there was mm-hmm. before the big conflict. What I vaguely remember, because because you asked in your question, your big question here is, did she stay until Riley turned? Um, mm-hmm. what I remember from the game and I may be wrong is that she, she, they decide that she's going to leave. And as she's Riley has one bullet left in her gun. And so you hear one lone shot. Mm. Yeah. So I think that, that, you know, kind of, she kind of solves her own problem. And, you know, it's funny coming back to the, 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 I think it was two episodes ago where, uh, when the, the younger brother gets infected and the two of them are asleep are in, in the sharing in the bedroom and, and they're both sleeping supposed to be sleeping and he won't sleep right um yeah and she he she he, she he reveals to her that he's been bit and she naively mm-hmm. thinks oh i can just rub my blood on you and that'll fix you right so because because yep. i mean yeah like in the scene where spoilers for if you haven't watched the show yet three two one go um you know the fact that they both get bitten in that scene um mm-hmm. you know you uh you know, they both they both realize at that point in time they know enough about this stuff. I guess they've had their education through the the Federal School that um, you know you're you're dead once you once you've been bitten, kind of thing, right? Um, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting that it's interesting, sort of the the dynamic, and this it, this is also talked about in the game in that the two of them are you know like they've both theoretically been indoctrinated by Fedra. You know, and, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, Riley's sort of now discovered this other side of uh, the, she's now, I call her a firefly for lack of a better term, but um, mm-hmm. she's with them. She's with the fireflies. And, um, you know, the two of them talking about the sort of politics of, well, we're both fighting for this, this we're both fighting for what we believe is good, right? Um, and that, you know, uh, the, the one thing, the one dynamic that wasn't in, that's not in the game, I don't think, is is the the fact that Ellie has the potential to go and be an officer. That's that's a 
that, that may be yeah. in the comic book you were talking about, but it is. It, yeah, because yeah, that's not in that's not in the game. They don't talk about that. But obviously, the paths for the two of them are different, which is again why and a reason for why Riley would go and join the Fireflies or to find a reason or a cause. But then when the whole thing about the bombs. Um, obviously the bombs are important to the gameplay because you need to be be able to blow up the infected. Um, and that may have been like, uh, how they reveal those things, but the, you know, the creation of the, the pipe bombs kind of thing, um, you kind of reveals to at least to Ellie that, you know, the, the mission of the fireflies is, you know, it's to blow me up because I'm on, we're on opposite teams. Right. So, yeah. 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 Kind of interesting, interesting, you know, political wartime kind of my enemy kind of, you know, my enemy, my friend kind of story trope that you see in other stories, right? Well, and we've seen the portrayal of Fedra, whether it's this sort of very in-control authoritarian group in Boston, whether it's the ones who have fallen in Kansas City, whether it's the ones rounding up people in in the hometown where, uh, uh, so what were the two characters, uh, Bill and... Oh, this episode three guys? Frank and uh, Bill, Frank, Frank and Bill, Bill, yeah, yeah, where we see Bill, uh, you know, uh, hiding out in his house, and we know that from we when we see the bodies, we know that those people aren't being taken to a you know repurposing place; they're basically being taken to the country and shot. Um, you know, we know that the Fedra people are in a lot of cases doing these horrible, horrible things, but then we hear you know Captain Kwong in this episode saying, you know. We are the only thing that's keeping the evil at bay. He sees them as this, you know, cause for justice, cause for safety, you know, this, this, you know, beacon of light in a dark place. It's funny how, of course, you know, depend, it all depends on your perspective, right? You know, yeah. from a certain yeah. point of view. Uh, but, you know, it was really interesting to see that sort of juxtaposed because we really have only ever had them portrayed as these, these, you know, militaristic tyrannical people and now we're sort of seeing it from the inside of well you know we're trying to train these kids up we're trying to give them you know jobs and safety and all this you know we're trying to protect people even though we know that obviously there's a lot of abuse going on a lot of you know tyranny a lot of uh you know sort of the negative side of authoritarianism well not that there isn't a lot of negative sides but the, but the most negative features of authoritarianism where you know they are basically keeping the people down so they can, you know, as, as Captain Kwong says, you know, you get to, we get to, you know, if you're an officer, you get to, you know, live in relative comfort compared to, you know, shoveling manure on the streets, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, some good quotes from this one. Uh, yeah, at the, at the, uh, the tunnel, if it's sealed, or the, the mall, right? If it's sealed off, then why isn't it sealed off? I'm on a magic horse with like a million lights. I don't know how it's supposed to get any better. Uh, yeah. This is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen when Ellie's standing outside the arcade. I thought that was great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then the very poignant one from Riley, it ends this way sooner or later for everyone, right? Some of us just get there faster than others. Again, heartbreaking line. Yeah. Um, and music played a huge part in this episode in a way that we haven't, I mean, we got a little bit of that in the Bill and Frank episode with the, you know, the Linda Ronstad, but in, this one, we, you know, we start with Ellie running, very unenthusiastically running laps into Pearl Jam. Uh, and of course, you have to remember that they're sort of frozen at a point in time, right? Although it's uh, Walkman's work. You know, I guess that obviously in a pinch, anything will do. But Walkman's were kind of passe by 2003, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but we get, you know, Pearl Jam at the beginning. And then 
Later on, we get Aha, so Take On Me, classic song, sort of sets that up. When they're on the carousel, the, the very light little melody that's playing on the carousel is The Cure's Just Like Heaven. Pick that one up right away, because that's one of my favorite songs. Um, and then, of course, we hear the, the Etta James song uh, when they're dancing. And, of course, that sets up, you know, the, she's doing I Got You, Babe. And then, of course, they get got, right? So uh, interesting needle drops on this, on this one where they kind of have these, these musical interludes that kind of set some scenes up, I thought. Um, and then, of course, we flash back and forth between the, the past where we're seeing Ellie reflecting on her experience with Riley. But we also flash back and forth with her and Joel. Joel saying, you know, hey, get out of here. I don't want you here, you know. You know leave me, go back, you know, go back to Tommy, get yourself to safety. His sort of quote unquote dying thought is, you know, save yourself, go, go get out of here. And, you know, in the end, Ellie comes back downstairs and sort of says, you know, shut the heck up and, you know, gets the needle in the, the possibly filthy needle and thread out of the drawer and uh, starts, starts doing some stitching. I don't know if they had any booze with them or anything, something could have disinfected that, maybe run a, a lighter over the top of it for a second. but. Uh, yeah, so, you know, it still sets the stage for an interesting next episode where, you know, Joel's going to be laid up for a little bit. Uh, you know, how does how does Ellie sort of fare? She has to now do a lot of the things that Joel's been doing. She has to she has to protect them. She has to feed them. She has to, you know, take care of the two of them while Joel gets better. It's, uh, yeah, interesting place to leave them off on, too. And I think I think I mentioned, I don't know if I mentioned it on Slack or on the show, but this is the first episode we've seen when anybody goes rifling through drawers to find resources. Yeah, which of course, if you play the game, is like half the game. Yeah, exactly. I need to make a shiv. I need to make a Molotov cocktail. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, no, you find them laying around, which is really nice, actually. Andy. Uh, yeah, well, and you know when you see them that that there's going to be some infected coming. Something bad's coming. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Just one thing I want to sort of talk about: all these dystopian shows that we see. Um, oh, by the way, in the in in the uh, the Picard episode, there was a there was a scene where you see the cityscape where um, uh, Worf and and um, Rafi are in, and it's it's like literally lifted right out of Blade Runner, like every yeah. you know, show. But but it's interesting in these all these dystopian games how all of these buildings, you know, like whether it's Planet of the Apes or or even these ones, I look at these buildings and I'm like, you know. How could they be in such bad shape? How could they be like you know like deteriorating and all that kind of stuff? And yet, um, I I saw a couple of uh, websites this weekend, um, and I've seen these sites before, like abandoned places. There's a lot of um, mm -hmm. you know older. I saw one which is an older. It was somewhere in the states, and it was like a battery factory or something like that, which is which has been empty for a while, and um, it looks very like you could film these shows there, like they the like the fact mm. that these you know the the all the windows are gone and there's garbage and, you know, dirt and, and, you know, stuff on the walls. Like, you know, if you think about how clean a, you know, a shopping mall is, for example, but if it, if it had been left abandoned for 20 years, um, it would end up looking like, like this, these sets, you know? So it's kind of interesting because, you know, I look at these shows and games sometimes and think like, is it really like that? But that is in fact what abandoned places do end up looking like. Especially with, yeah. especially with like metal rusting and things like that too, right? So I've got a couple of links I'll put in the show notes for that. But on that yeah, note, fair point. should we move off to our uh, watch list? Hell yeah. Okay, you're up for strict, John.
I think we talked about this yeah, before, though, so right? But anyway. We, yeah, we, I think you had this in your watch list uh, a number of weeks back. But it's uh, but it's this weekend the uh, the multi part history of the world part two the uh, the I never thought it would happen in my lifetime uh, sort of sequel to the classic 1980s Mel Brooks movie uh, is coming to Hulu this weekend in the United States is coming to Disney Plus uh, via the Yay, Star not Netflix thing <laughs> here uh, so yeah I, I've seen a bunch of different promotional things it seems like it's got a killer cast it seems like everybody's just super excited to be working on uh, you know a, a real I mean again it's a farce it's 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 you know if you've ever seen History of the World Part One it's it's hilarious it's ridiculous. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, a uh, Spanish Inquisition dance scene. I mean, it's just, you know, it, it, there's a lot of goofy, goofy stuff in here. It, you know, there's a great cast. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. It's not going to be, um, you know, high art, but yeah, it's going to be super fun. And I am very much looking forward to it. The other thing I didn't write down here and I, I'll, I'll add it in, but, uh, they're also doing the, the, uh, and I'm sorry, Tim. They're doing the live Chris Rock special on Netflix on Saturday night. So this mm. is a live Netflix show, which is kind of weird. So they're doing a pre-show with some comedians. They're doing the live Chris Rock show. And they're they're doing an after show as well with a bunch of other comedians. So if you're a big stand-up comedy fan, Saturday night's going to be a pretty killer one on, uh, on Netflix. So cool. I'll be editing this podcast on Saturday night. So. <laughs> well, we know you won't be watching Netflix. It's true. Well, I might be. You never know. I might break down. <laughs> so my i was worried about this one you guys were talking last week about uh bill watterson and um i saw a film i think a documentary about uh i think it's about i want to say five years old now called dear mr watterson and it's all about his career it's a, it's on prime mm-hmm. thankfully um all about his career as an artist and about calvin and Hobbes and all that kind of stuff so if you're if you're curious about the backstory behind this guy or even you know about this the story about him check out this this uh, documentary it's made by obviously by fan uh of his writing and stuff like that but it does talk quite a bit about it so that's on my watch list for this week what are you and for those who are interested his uh new book which we talked about last week is uh it's 25 percent off already on pre-order on amazon so nice want to want to book your copy i've already uh already put my money down waiting for that one mm. it's coming in october nice over to you honey yeah, mine is a little unorthodox. So I think I had picked uh, Koala Man from Hulu that, uh, you know, ended up being uh, actually surprisingly good. I think it started out slow, the first episode or two, but it actually has an overarching story arc that wasn't immediately uh, apparent to me and works out pretty nice if you like the, um, you know, the kind of Rick and Morty uh, solar opposites kind of feel. It feels uh, very Australian, and uh, I do recommend that. But this, my actual pick, is uh, Fresh Blood, colon, Koala Man, which was apparently the original pilot made for uh, Koala Man. So it's kind of close to the uh, the actual first episode that premiered on Hulu, but uh, there's some pretty nice differences. So it feels like a, an alternate reality version of that episode. So it's free here on uh, archive.org. Uh, pretty breezy like 20 minutes i think worth checking out if you like wall man i'm just gonna do a quick search to see if it's on disney plus here because yeah no i've been watching it i think it's on disney plus i'm three episodes in yeah well i know koala man's so i just know if the oh um, this particular show cool. right all right well i guess that's it for another week 
So if people are in touch with you, Jonathan, where would they find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at JPK News or on YouTube at uh, youtube.com slash at JPK. Cool. And Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you. I'm on Twitter as at Dev of the Hair. Cool. And as usual, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine and on the Mastodon machine and the YouTube. And uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. So till next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at Spotcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpotCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash spotcast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, spotcast.com slash sponsor us. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. of us conversation but did you see that uh once again and we didn't really talk about it in our recap either but uh so riley and and ellie share a kiss yes right in this episode and and there is kind of a whole under you know uh, undertone to the whole episode there is that sort of vibe that ellie's kind of infatuated but you're not really clear if it's romantic or if it's just uh admiration but then it it culminates with the two of them sharing a kiss, which is very sweet. But for the second time this season and in this series, uh, the homophobes came out in force. Oh, did they really? One. Wow! It's so in the game. The uh, irrespective of that, they apparently did a lot of uh, uh, review bombing when they did the episode with Bill and Frank. And were really very negative and uh, basically review bombed it mercilessly so that it ended up with like, I think the review total on some of the things is like 20% uh, as, an, as an audience score, which is ridiculous because it was an incredible episode of television. This one, uh, again, had a queer moment and apparently that's too much for some people and they did the exact same thing. So uh, to all those people, uh, get over yourselves. Uh, love is love and stop. Just stop. And if you're listening to this and you're one of those people, don't listen to us. Yeah, exactly. Please go mm-hmm. away. Not so much for our, our bombless uh, review uh, on this show. <laughs> yeah. Well, there we go. Come on. Come on. Bomb us. Yeah, we need, we, Come we, get we, us. Help us be viral. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> we dare you. Yeah. Go ahead. Joseph, tell us how you feel. Yeah. Oh, I just, uh, it just makes me sick to my stomach. It just. It's wildly upsetting, but people suck. We've talked about you know it before. what? Love will overcome. Yeah, I, I I can't say that I understand the rationale behind any of it. It was interesting. I never really thought about. It. I was listening to another podcast that they referenced the the Last of Us recently, and they were talking about how 
The thing that you also have to remember is that the world is basically frozen in 2003, right? Mm -hmm. Like 2003 was sort of the last point for uh, laws and culture and pop culture and all these things. That's why, you know, for for these kids, you know, an arcade is still a quasi-relevant thing, although I could argue again yeah. I mean, by the early 2000s it was not necessarily. But um, that definitely comes back around when you're talking about things like gay rights, right? Like, we've come a long way in 20 years. We still have a long way to go. But, you know, uh, in this time, you know, that moment when when Frank, you know, knows that Bill is, is gay and they share that kiss and then they end up in bed together, like, you know, Bill probably was closeted his whole life. He probably you know, reconciled himself to the fact that he was queer and never had a chance to express himself. And the idea at the end of the episode where they've lived these 20 years together and they've shared this life together and they decide, like what what Frank says is, let's get married. So the two of them do that. You know, I, I haven't checked the laws, but like they're living somewhere in probably New England. Mm-hmm. It, it probably wasn't even legal for them to get married at that point. Mm. So, you know... It is definitely a moment to sort of reflect back on that, you know, yeah, like in these 20 years that we have lived that they didn't get to live where society carried on, we've we've moved the needle a little bit in some very positive ways that, you know, you kind of have to put that context hat on for some some of these moments. Yeah. Only two more episodes of Last of Us. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Feels like it's uh, just kind of just kind of getting steam and then it's going to be over. Well, yeah. I don't want to spoil it for you, but you guys don't know the ending, right? Or Harmy does. No. Harmy do, does. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. I, I started playing the game, and I I've, have not been able to have a lot of focused time. It's been a busy stretch for me. <laughs> so I made it I made it very, very not far. I've, I'm, uh, I'll let you know how far I've made it. Tess is still alive, so it's still a ways oh, to really? go. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. yeah. And I finished Red Dead Redemption. I finished the whole story part of it. Now I'm just running around like whatever and it's funny i still can't get to that part of the, the world that i thought i could get to but which is apparently part of the first game but yeah i haven't i haven't gone down there to see if they'll unceremoniously kill me but you know but there's some like um legendary animals that i just I've, i just gotta hunt a few of them down and you know help out some people and you know free some prisoners and stuff like that <laughs> shoot some bad guys as you do yeah, shoot bad guys and whenever anybody reports me for murder, murdering a bad guy, I run away. <laughs> <laughs> As, you, As do. you do. Yeah. Otherwise, you end up dead. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, uh, mind you, I, like I said, I did, I did figure out that the trick is to, you know, hide behind rocks and trees. That seems to be a way to defend yourself against uh, getting killed. Yeah. But it's funny, like you get this beaver, like this is legendary beaver. You get the legendary beaver and you can make the legendary beaver trinket out of it, right? But if you die while you've got the legendary beaver pelt, right? Uh, then it, then mm-hmm. when, you, when you're resurrected, it says you've lost your legendary thing, but you can still go and make the you know, special trinket thing. So what's the point <laughs> of getting the, yeah, you know. And whenever you take it back to your camp and you, and you take it to the butcher and you, and you give him the the um the f- the fur it turns around and it shows you in a corner of the camp putting it down so like you know at one point i get the legendary wolf and the legendary you know elk and the legendary something or other and every time you put it down you end up the cutscene is like you you putting it down over 
in the back corner. So I'm, I'm kind of kept wondering, why don't I just take it back over there and put it there, drop it there, you know, like very strange. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I guess they just, they only have so many, so many cycles to write these little stories in the game. Right. So are you going to take a break or are you diving right into uh, Last of Us Part uh, well, 2? I have some other things to do, but which I've been putting off. But uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't started Last of Us 2 yet, so. but I will have to at some point. I'll talk to you guys. As a reminder, <laughs> I will be uh, out next week, but I will return uh, yes. the 16th. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens in Japan when you're, uh, when you're doing your thing. If you can, it's funny because, like, yeah, when I was, where was I? Um, I think I was in the States. I went to Chicago and I, I wasn't able to get any of the shows. Um, I tried to I tried to do the um, Tunnel Bear thing to get the VPN going and it just wouldn't work. There's something something I couldn't mm. do in, in um, when I was traveling in the States related to like a Netflix or something. I can't remember what, which service it was, but it just, yeah, it just was like, nope, can't do that. I think it was Disney maybe. Because hmm. Apple will work no matter where you are. Hmm, which is odd. Well, well, feel free to slack at us, Jaime. We'll, yeah. uh, we'll definitely uh, pictures, unless we'll it definitely... didn't. Ha- otherwise, it didn't happen. You know, we want yeah. we want to see pictures of you being the tallest guy in the room. That's what we want to see. <laughs> hey, the hair is going to be the thing that puts them over the top. It's true. True. All right. Enjoy the. What conference is it you're going to? It is DevRelCon. Excuse me, DevRelCon Yokohama. Oh, you went to that one before, so, right? But... Yeah, it's it's still in the Tokyo area, Yokohama. I don't know if it would be considered a suburb over there, mm. but from a, an American perspective, it's a, a suburb because it's like 45 minutes by train from Tokyo. Right. Cool. Mm. It's, in the, it's in the same ballpark, you know. Nice. Cool. Talk to you guys later. All right, gents. Have a good time, Jaime. Look forward to yeah. uh, catching up and get back. Can you all that stuff? And thank you. Whatever. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, that's Sayonara. right. <laughs> Sayonara. Bye. Thank you later. See you guys. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.